0: life on this beautiful Sunday morning with Chase and Josh here at Factor Fantasy. That's Chase. I'm Josh and we're getting ready to give you a book and movie number 2 in the Harry Potter series, Chamber of Secrets today, bro.
1: Yeah, man. I, I love this book. This was uh, I forgot how good it was. Uh, maybe it's because it's like a it's kind of split for me. When I was a child, I was like the movie is so epic. We get to see that big snake thing. Um <laughs> And now, like, I watched the movie and I was like, okay. I felt like it was very, it felt like I was watching a bunch of fourth graders try to perform a high school play. Um, And then the book was so intense, I couldn't put it, I couldn't put it down. Like, I I couldn't put it down. I was telling Josh today, for all the viewers and listeners out there, I was, I read it straight through in two days (laughs) because I just could not stop. Like there's literally last night I pulled an all nighter on this thing because I was like, well, I'm not gonna sleep anyways because all I'm gonna think about all night is this book. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was awesome, man. I was impressed with it. What about you?
0: For me, like I, you, you hit the nail on the head for where like I didn't remember how good the Chamber of Secrets book was. I feel like when I was a kid, you know, we we're focusing on where a lot of the big action happens in the thicker books, and you know, since this was only the second one that came out. It's so far away, maybe it's just so like a distant memory where, you know, the bigger books towards the end kind of are more fresh in my mind. But when I read it, there is a lot of action, and it's nonstop from the moment you start Chamber of Secrets all the way through the end. It really stood the test of time very well. Uh, on the opposite side of that, the movie was hot garbage. We've talked about that <laughs> all week. Uh, we had, a, I, you know, I was complaining about it. I told Chase at one point in time, I started watching Chamber of Secrets late at night and I like kind of right before I was kind of going to bed just to watch it for pleasure before I took the notes on it. And I told him I couldn't even finish it. I shut it off like 30 minutes in and I was like, dude, I can't like, I just, I really can't watch this. It was uh, it was not great, but book wise, loved it. Movie wise. uh uh-uh. <laughs> There
1: was Things I liked about it though, that were just, that really didn't even matter to the story. But I was like, that's pretty cool. Um, like we always talk me and you are big fans of our boy Gilderoy (laughs) Gilderoy
0: (laughs) Lockhart and
1: then you got whoa Moaning Myrtle she's just a girl not from this town and I love the toilet scene baby (laughs) I love the toilet scene you gotta actually read the book. I'm not being weird. Really, she she actually does come from a toilet.
0: Yeah, Moaning Myrtle has, and actually she plays a bigger role later on too. Not just in Chamber of Secrets, but when we get into the the later books. And you know, now that you bring up Gilderoy Lockhart, I told you I, I wanted to mention something before we even got started on him. Like when we talk about the movie, and we talk about casting you know gilderoy lockhart he played his role well like i believed his acting i think he was one of the few that actually did a good job with his role (laughs) but i didn't believe the the age and like how he was described in the book like in the book he was described as super handsome like every girl loved him (laughs) i was thinking more like dude you know who would be perk for that role like the 2011 version of jamie lannister would have been a perfect gilderoy lockhart like the very perfect dude spot on I think he would have... Yeah. What do you think about that? you think I'm on the right page there?
1: Oh, 100%. That's so funny you said that too. Um, Because you know what I was thinking? We talked about this a little bit in our last episode with the differences and stuff of Sorcerer's Stone. But it's, it's weird the way they kind of... How the casting worked because they portrayed him in such a way in the book. Like, remember... He was, here's the thing too I kind of noticed it a little bit when I tried to look more into that giving his character the benefit of the doubt in the movie but remember in the book they described him always wearing like these flashy blue velvet robes with yep. these pointed hats and stuff like I pictured this dude like you know in the, in the fashion style Jamie Lannister just pompous super pompous And then, and I love the actor, don't get me wrong. But then you see him and he's just kind of more like this older guy. Like his hair isn't, like, I get it. Like they tried to fluff up his hair, like his blonde hair a little bit. But it's really not that noticeable. Like I think the only time I really kind of noticed what he wore dressing for the occasion is uh, chapter eleven of the book, which we'll go into. That's one of my favorite chapters, the Dueling Academy, which is
0: pretty the Dueling cool. Club, yeah, Dueling yep.
1: Club, yeah. Um, a good one. But yeah, man, it's it, it, it was probably that's the catch though. Like right now, I rank it one of my favorite books in the series, but it's just like how we did our previous, you know, I guess the one big book thing we did on this show. Is like, Game of Thrones, but it really goes for any other series, too, like, you really forget about it until you go back through, so it'll be interesting to see how I rank it at the very end of the series.
0: That's a good point, you know, because, like, we think about it, and we're like, dude, like, chamber really held the test of time but then we we got the really awesome ones coming up like prisoner of azkaban and goblet of fire really big ones too so (laughs) uh, i'm gonna be really interested to see how it stands so because it's one it's gonna be be one of those ones (laughs) yeah well i'm just saying like one of those things it it, it, it's like you're not going to be able to choose it's like choosing between really two really great things so you know there's you can't go wrong no matter how you rank it because like it it's always always is great. Like it even gets better as it goes on. So, but I thought it was a huge step up personally from Sorcerer Stone to Chamber of Secrets in the level of writing and the amount of detail that was put into it. It definitely was a step above that, and I'm interested to seeing as we go further, are all the books going to be a step above the one previous? So. Uh, it's one of those things that as a kid you don't pay attention to those kind of things you're just in the story now us as adults kind of breaking it down to to the nitty-gritty like oh yeah like this is this is great so i'm I'm excited
1: yeah before we get started by the way of course you know we kind of knew we had in our mind at least that hopefully harry potter you know because it is such a big franchise that you know it would definitely start blowing up the minute that first episode dropped and, and this one definitely did and it, it really was a testament to you guys because we gave you that massive like three and a half hour <laughs> special <laughs> for that episode and
0: season but, premiere.
1: <laughs> still killed it. And uh you know, we've had some really cool things going on. Um, you know, we love it uh when all our fans listen. Um we've had some people mention us a couple times in the media, which is cool. Um, but just, you know, uh, really a testament to you guys, you know, now that we're jumping on this big new arc here, really y'all been with us since the beginning. Like, that's what we always talk about is our fan base is that loyal fan base that a lot of people really don't have. Like we, you know, some people have a big kickstart just cause they're doing like Harry Potter or something, which is what like we're doing now, which Usually, no one's ever taken that challenge on unless they're just the Harry Potter podcast, right? Um, but like our fans like have been with us through the nitty-gritty, even going from Westworld, where we <laughs> took you through 10 different types of consciousness <laughs> and <laughs> held in with us. So it's really a testament to you guys, but that's what's awesome about this one is you know, it, it really lets you le- relax a little bit, and we get to have fun, too. We get to have a lot of fun with it, where you don't have to think as much Um, But yeah, man, uh, I say we go ahead and you want to go ahead and dive on into it. Let you take it away from here.
0: Yeah, a couple things first, too, because I want to I want to piggyback off what you're saying there, too, about this being fun and relaxed. And so we're not going to, you know, try to push everything all together. We're going to take the episodes as they come and spread it out to where it makes sense. So that way, you know, we're not just straight giving you guys four hour episodes back to back to back. So what we're doing uh, for Chamber of Secrets is we're going to be doing this week uh, today we're going to be doing uh, part one, which we kind of split up between the start of the book to the end of the chapter called The Rogue Bludger. Then next week, we'll tackle, you know, from the the end of Rogue Bludger to the end of the book. And then we'll do our final uh, send-off of Chamber of Secrets when we just detail the differences between the movie Chamber of Secrets and the book Chamber of Secrets. And then we'll move on to Ask a Man after that.
1: And <laughs> did you ever see that movie... Um... I wasn't a big fan of this movie because I thought it was going to be, like, Wedding Crashers 2, but it was, uh, I forgot what it was called, it was, like, the Google Guys or something, it was with Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson, they were, like, doing something with Google, but there was, like, a part where they went to this Harry Potter party, and they didn't know what they were getting into, and this guy, all he was doing was sitting by himself on his couch, binging Harry Potter, and these two guys are sitting there. They've already been there for like six hours. Because you know Harry Potter film is like three hours. And he's like, you guys ready? Next stop is Azkaban. <laughs> Just kept playing over and over.
0: I haven't seen yeah. that movie. No, I haven't seen it. I haven't is that, seen wait, it
1: in years. That was, it really wasn't that good of a movie. That's just the
0: was that the scene. silly one where like they were married, but their wives gave them a hall pass? Is that that one, or is that different?
1: No, it wasn't Hall Pass. I can't even think of what it was called. It was the one that they... Which they're actually filming Wedding Crashers 2 now, which is really cool. Um, but it was the one they thought was going to be Wedding Crashers 2, but it wasn't. It had Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson in it, and it was filmed like three years later or something it was like gotcha. they had jobs at google i wish i could think of what the name is but not a big deal I just was really wondering if you, you know, knew off the top of your head yeah. typical cool b-rated film is what it was that was just like the best scene yeah Fair play. and they actually play quidditch in that film too ironically <laughs> yeah. i think it's funny how <laughs> they like had a guy dressed up like a snitch and then they had to go tag him Remember, snitches
0: get stitches i anyway. was wondering too like because i remember being in elementary school and we would play our own version of quidditch and we would be on like those i don't even know what you would call them those rollers where you could be on your chest and like push your hands off and like they would roll them and then you'd like it, it was really interesting yeah. how there's so many different ways to humanly play quidditch where it's actually a wizard's game on broomsticks that fly but you know we make do with our limitations so Oh yeah, uh, I
1: actually just looked up that movie too. Um, that movie was called The Internship. The that? Internship.
0: Okay, I've, I haven't seen it, but uh, I'm interested now because I, I actually Wedding Crashers, <laughs> yeah, Wedding Crashers actually breaks my top ten favorite movies ever. So uh, I'm I'm excited to see something that was supposed to be like I'll I'll keep you you know my expectations low for it, but uh, I'll, I'll definitely watch it. That sounds pretty cool. Hey, but,
1: nowadays you'll probably get to watch it straight from your house. <laughs> By, yeah, <really>. way. <clears throat> By the way, too, uh, real quick before we get started, it was cool, kind of going back through. It, it's interesting to think of Harry Potter with some of the situations they go into in this book. Um, I mean, there's there's times where you know they have to put up boundaries and and different. Um, terms are using that sort of thing. And it's kind of cool because it kind of relates to some of the social justice issues or, uh, you know, the current pandemic situation today. If you think about different um, things that they have to do at the school, which is cool. So uh, even when I was going through it, it, it's so funny, you know, like a fantasy series that you think, you know, is so far away from reality actually can relate <laughs> pretty well to life. Um, which I'll bring up some of those points, you know, m- much later on as we get into this book, but yeah, man, I'll let you take it away from here. I think, uh, I'm excited for this one. This will be a good one. And, uh, I have ghosts in this one too. I mean, yeah. There's just so much to get into.
0: I have a Perfect. lot of questions about how that went down too. Like I put it in my possible plot hole section about that whole ghost situation, but, again, that's that's for a little bit later on. But, yeah, man, let's, let's jump into it. Let's give them a little bit of what they came for and uh, start this bad boy off. Uh, for, again, for those who are just joining us for the first time here at Chamber, what we're doing, and we're going to kind of carry this sort of outline throughout the entire Harry Potter arc and series that we do, uh, we're going to be talking about our favorite moments and impact moments as well. We'll talk about the uh, foreshadowed events, the possible plot holes and discrepancies our top five favorite magical creatures in each specific book slash movie and then we finish it off with some really great interesting facts uh about it that you don't really you have to do some outside research on outside of just reading uh, or watching the film so uh by the way
1: you got some new visuals on your end which is pretty cool you want to tell them about that for all the you know, we got to describe our Hallmark channel. For all For me,
0: listeners it's there. very similar to last week, guys. It, it looks exactly the same. The only difference is that the book and the movie are the Chamber of Secrets and not the Sorcerer's Stone. Literally, it's the exact same yeah. setup I had last <laughs> week. Uh, you've got some other ones on there, some ones that you've added that, uh, talk, that kind of coincide with um, Chamber versus Sorcerer's Stone. So tell them a little bit about what you got going on over there you paint them the picture
1: not not really at all it was just an excuse for me to bring up the basket (laughs) (laughs) because i i was able to get the uh on uh ebay man and that thing is massive Uh, you know when they say like uh not actual size usually you expect it to be smaller that thing was like 50 pounds when i pulled (laughs) it out of the mail so when you actually for all our youtube viewers if you go on YouTube or the website, which you can see this on, you'll see, like, the Basilisk Funko Pop is actually looking like the size of a Basilisk if it was a Funko Pop, because Harry as the Funko Pop is half the size. Like, it's bigger than Hagrid. So, uh, that was cool. Um, but yeah, let's, let's go ahead and dive into it, man. This is, so far, <laughs> definitely one of my favorites, even though we've only done two yet, so... Let's get a that's a great in the thing, Chalice, man. Cheers, my malice man. Malice Cheers, brother. Chalice, baby. Good stuff. Okay, it's all. That's here. a great
0: thing. Yeah, perfect thing about this series is that it's it's all good, right? There's nothing that's terribly bad outside the movies, right? So, but uh, yeah, let's let's get it rocking and rolling. We'll start here with some favorite impact moments for me. What I'll do is I'll take it from. The time we start this book to where Hogwarts, we, we, they arrive at Hogwarts, and I'll turn it over to Chase. He'll do his from the time where we start the book to Hogwarts, and I'll take it from there to Rogue Bludger. He'll do the same afterwards, then we'll move on to our other sections. But let's give him what they came to see, man. Uh, you know, I'll start right here at page five. Uh, I thought it was kind of dirty for Uncle Vernon to... Uh, referred to the very important day as the day he was trying to make the sale for his drills and not harry's birthday <laughs> yeah, that was really, really messed crazy. up he said he said it's a very important day Harry's he's like oh, is he gonna say my birthday and he's like i gotta make a sale <laughs> like <laughs> oh okay gotcha man so uh, i thought that was pretty interesting um page eight two enormous green eyes staring at him from the hedge that never, you know, I don't want to talk terribly too much about differences, but that never happened in the film. I just thought that was really cool how he's just sitting there thinking about it, and all of a sudden he looks over and there's just eyes staring at him through a bush. Um, moving on to page nine he faked magic. Like when Douglas came around and like gave him crap about him, not having any friends, he started like jiggery pokery, making just funny words. And she like swung (laughs) like a pot at him. Like dude, poor kid. Like his, his own like guardians can't stand him. (laughs) They try to like (laughs) hurt him all the time. So I thought that was really messed up. Uh, Moving on into page 11, Dobby, the house elf just, just plopped on Harry's bed. That's also a potential plot hole that I have. Like, I guess I'll talk about it then, but I, that's something that's worth bringing up when it comes to like the underage magic, like s- sort of deal, like how did he get in there type of thing. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I thought that was still pretty cool because this is the first time you know we hear about house elves uh, a little bit in Sorcerer's Stone. They're only mentioned how like they work in the kitchens, but this is the first time that we get to see one like you know and, and interacting as a character in the story. So I thought that was pretty cool, um, interesting you know fact about the, the house elves i put it in my favorite moments but i guess you can also put in interesting facts is they have to punish themselves when they do anything that their masters would disapprove of that's kind of screwed up but you know <laughs> <laughs> thought that was weird i felt uh, so
1: bad for him in this film it, just wa- watching it well reading it alone was bad enough man i felt so bad for him
0: and it's it's crazy because some people do treat others like that like like other animals i've seen people beat their dogs like that like it's just it's sad i don't want to you know we, we want to focus on the happy and good but like yeah you're right it like there's some sick people out there man who just have no empathy for i wouldn't for anything. call him
1: an animal either he's a little well, bit over it uh, i don't
0: know i just don't know how you would relate it though because like you know that we don't have any like like human-like creatures in the real world, you know what I right. mean? So, you know, the ones that are closest to us, probably, like, our pets, you know, cats and dogs, but... <laughs> um, yeah, they're talking about him, the next thing I, I have on here, one of my favorite moments is when he smashes Aunt Petunia's pudding, and that was a big difference too, that we'll talk about, but uh, you know, he just has the idea, he's like, oh, so you're not gonna listen to me and not go back to Hogwarts? Cool, no problem, I'm just gonna smash this pudding. <laughs> like, you know how long she took to make that, and I don't think Dobby really understood how terribly the Dursleys treated Harry, so he didn't know like, what was going to happen when, when he smashed that pudding. But I uh, thought that was hilarious. And then going on to page 24, my favorite boys, Fred and George Weasley, they pull up in a flying car at 14 years old, man, because they're two years ahead of Ron and Harry. So Fred and George pulling up in the flying car, good stuff there. Uh, I always, I don't know what it is. The troublemakers, they're fun. I enjoy them uh like i like how they just pull the the bars clean off the window uh then going on even further there like they're so important this is something that jk rowling does an amazing job of is she integrates the supporting characters very very well so like you know fred and george aren't main characters per se but they have a lot of like i would say talk time right like, I thought that was really, really cool. Like, they pick the lock manually with like a bobby pin, and <laughs> they get to the broom cupboard as well. Like they wouldn't like really think about this. They wouldn't have gotten away cleanly from the Dursleys' house if Harry hadn't like 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 if they they didn't have Fred and George with them, and they would have gotten away scot free. Like Fred and George did their job to the point where they would have got away, but Harry forgot Hedwig, and that's when scree- Hedwig screeched and woke up der- like the Dursleys, but. If Harry did his part and just got the bird in there, they would have got away and with no problem. So, Fred and George, my boys forever, love it. And, uh, you know, just talking, continuing on with them, they get them to the burrow safely. We get to see a little bit about the burrow for the first time. This is, a, like, a house that reminds me of, like, the Leaning Tower of Pizza, right? Like, the way it was described, <laughs> yeah. you said he yeah, said it was uh, put together by magic because, you know, obviously they're wizards. So, it was just really interesting uh how the burrow is described and you know what we hear about the Jerseys, like they're kind of like old-fashioned like a clean house like spick and span and harry preferred like the chaos and clutter and mess of the burrow because it felt more like home and you know he just you know was more accepted there obviously he wasn't um,
1: abused <laughs> oh, yeah that's that's a, like
0: good, that's a good that's a good point yeah he does he, you know, he, he actually is like he cared about as a human so that's pretty cool <laughs> Uh, pages 36 through 37, denoming the garden. I was very close on putting... Like, obviously, we're going to tackle yeah. our top five favorite magical creatures next week, but I was very close to putting the gnomes on my list at the very bottom. I, I didn't, <laughs> but I was very close. I just want to mention that quickly because I thought that was pretty cool. Like They just shake them up, launch them over the hedge as far as they can to get them away. That was awesome. Uh, that was really cool. It was just really interesting. Like That's something that she thought of, like, you know, no one else really would have thought of that. Like, that's just an added detail that makes it great, right? Um, I thought it was pretty funny, too, in page 39, how Mr. Weasley and Mrs. Weasley had, like, that classic husband wife fight about the kids taking the car like she was freaking out super angry and wanted him to like be as upset as her and he was more interested like oh like how'd it go like he wasn't good <laughs> like you know he he didn't even really want to yell at him and then she almost lost her marbles at him and he's like oh wait wait that was very bit right i was very wrong boys like he had to like, see, like she was it was just a classic husband and wife fight i loved it i thought it was really cool that was awesome. um Going into page 47, we we see flu powder for the first time that's used. This is a little bit different to, you know, going on later uh, from what we see on screen, but this is the first time that we see, uh, you know, this type of travel method. We've seen people fly on broomsticks, we've seen, you know, different types of, you know, methods of transportation. Flu powder is something that we see for the first time that's used, you know, it, it comes up again later on in the series as well, so, thought that was pretty cool. Um, Dude, like, this is one I'm actually going to go ahead and take straight from the book. Because when he arrives... Because remember, he doesn't say Diagon Alley properly, so he ends up in, like, a different great, right? He actually ends up in Borgin and Burks, which is a crazy, Mm -hmm. crazy store. And, like, I have to save that for the foreshadowed events uh, uh, section, but there's a lot I want to talk about in here. But for right now, what I'll do is I'll just kind of talk about um, the different creepy stuff that they found on there. So uh, he said, all he could tell is that he was standing in a stone fireplace that looked like a large, dimly lit wizard's shop, but nothing in here was ever likely to be on a Hogwarts school list. A glass case nearby held a withered hand on a cushion, a bloodstained pack of cards, and a staring glass eye. Evil-looking masks stared down from the walls, an assortment of human bones lay upon the counter, and rusty, spiked instruments hung from the ceilings. And even worse, the dark narrow street Harry could can see through the dusty shop that he was not in Diagon Alley. So I just thought those were pretty cool, like, items I wanted to mention. I thought it was a, a favorite moment of mine in the very beginning. So, especially with how important that this shop comes up later on in, like, three different capacities. It's really crazy. Um, By the
1: way, it, quick question. Yeah. Uh, sorry, not to interrupt you. Morgan and Burks, do they have that at Universal? Like, I know they have Nocturne Alley, but I wasn't sure if that shop, you know, where they have the voodoo heads and stuff, if that's supposed to be what that is.
0: Truly, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've been to Universal Studios, so I have no idea. <laughs> that's, gotcha. that's something we'll do some <laughs> research on. Maybe we'll oh, able- yeah,
1: man. We'll have a have ourselves one of the you know maybe it, we'll go on instagram live
0: one day when we yeah we'll, we'll, we'll take the trip over to universal with our masks on get in there and uh hit the instagram live on the page i like it <laughs>
1: that's right never tickle a sleeping dragon baby <laughs> that's <good> right stuff.
0: <laughs> now next thing i thought was kind of cool is we start to see like the animosity between the weasley families and the malfoys because all we saw really in sorcerer stone was just they didn't get along with Malfoy, but it wasn't anything that went back a long ways. It just they just didn't get along because Malfoy thought Ron was poor and like you know would hang out with anybody. You know Malfoy more like uh, an elitist. You know he's got a lot of money, thinks purebreds are cool. So the fact that like Arthur Weasley was like really wanting to get Lucius Malfoy for something, he's like oh I would love to get Lucius Malfoy for something <laughs> here. So I thought. That was pretty cool, especially, you know, that's even kind of a foreshadow event for what happens like a couple minutes later, <laughs> but, oh, uh, most definitely. <laughs> uh, this is actually one of my favorite moments because I think it's something that a lot of people miss right here. Mm-hmm. Gamble and Japes Wizarding Joke Shop is actually the very first joke shop we learn about. It's not Zonko's. Yeah. So, so Zonko's is in Hogsmeade, which we haven't gotten there yet. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks once we after we finish up the chamber, but, um, yeah, so the, the, the Gamble and Japes Wizarding Joke Shop. That's the one we hear about first. That's the one in Diagon Alley. So, And when you hear about the joke shop in Harry Potter, you immediately think Zonko's. And this is actually the very first one that they mention because that's where Fred George and uh, their friend Lee Jordan met up in this book. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, then uh, we have the Arthur Weasley and Lucius Malfoy brawl in Flourish and Blotts. That was interesting because that didn't happen the same on screen. But uh, awesome. yeah. uh, I thought that in the book that was super like number one, like you know how bad like you've gotta lose it to be a parent to fight in front of your kids. Like that's such a bad example to set. So like there was some real bad animosity and I just also thought it was funny that Hagrid just picked him up by the scrubs of their neck and just separated him because he's a giant. <laughs> <laughs> like, thought that was pretty cool. But yeah, and that's you know, and what happens there is a really important moment that I'll talk about in foreshadow events too. But that fight was was one of my favorite moments because they just didn't even worry about wands. They just straight up tackle each other. They yeah. went straight to fist <laughs> man. So thought that was interesting. Then hitting right to uh, page sixty eight when Ron and Harry tried to get onto platform nine and three quarters and they crash against it. Um, this is like, I've got a question, you know, what would have happened if they all went separately? Would have Harry just been by himself? Like, you know, because I know yeah, they went two at a time. So, like, true. what if they all just went one, 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 one? Like, would they, like, you know, did Harry just be stuck there? And if it was just Harry stuck there, that probably ends differently than what Harry and Ron end up doing. Which yeah. is funny because that's my next favorite moment is that two 12-year-olds decided to fly a car to school. <laughs> they, thought, they thought that that was the best option. Listen. And I don't know if I should put this in the possible plot holes and discrepancy of things, because like maybe that as a twelve year old, this is your first option that you would think of. But man, Ron even says that like his mom and dad know how to operate. So like if they need to operate to the car, they've gotta get the car back there. So if they couldn't get through the thing, they could have just waited for them to operate to the car. Or they could have operated on the other side of the barrier. Like there was just so many other options they could have done. Obviously we love what they did. (laughs) Taking the flying car was badass. Like, sweet. I like it. I just thought it was interesting that that was the option they decided to go. And then um, the, then two more things I have before I turn it over to you, brother, is uh, pages 74 to 75 when they crash into the Whomping Willow and the Whomping Willow hitting them back. This is this is also kind of like a foreshadowed event, too, because the Whomping Willow comes up huge in multiple books later on. So this is the first time we get to see the Whomping Willow, what it does, and... I thought it was really cool how it attacks the car, and then the car, once they get it running in the reverse out of the Whomping Willow, the car gets sick of them and ejects them on its own. It literally just <laughs> bounces them out, throws their stuff out of the trunk, and so now they've got, you know, they, they arrived at Hogwarts, the flying car got them there, but now, like, they, they like, they know they're in trouble, right? They hit, they hit school property, like a tree. The car's messed up. They know that they, you know, they were seen because when they were hitting the invisibility thing, when the car first started coming up, it, it was malfunctioning. So they, like, they, they know they're in trouble. So now they're sitting here at Hogwarts. But there's stuff in there, and they're talking crap about Snape, and Snape's like, ha, I'm actually right behind you. He's like, "Ah, maybe he was fired. <laughs> well, maybe he decided he didn't want the job. Yeah, well, no one likes me anyways. And he's like, or maybe he's behind you about to mess your whole day up. So uh, that those were my favorite and impact moments from the start of the book to where they arrive at Hogwarts. I'll turn it over to you, my man, and you take it away.
1: Yeah, man, that was a perfect spot because that was – exactly me all the way through high school. Like the one time I would ever say anything, someone would be right behind me or one time, uh, you know, I told you I used to work at a theater in high school. So mm-hmm. there's shifts you get where you clean the theaters where you think no one's in there. Yeah. Me and my buddy would walk in, you know, being loud mouthed as crap and then thinking no one's in the theater and then look up and it's the two older people in the back. And we're like, great. <laughs> great. Or that one person, is right behind you <laughs> that you're, you know. <laughs> Having discussions that's about, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. Would be, yeah. my log all the time. But, uh, yeah, just going into it, uh, just like you were saying, the first thing I picked up on, being a guy just like you, Jay Nelly, our own Jay Nellie right here, works in sales. So, you know, it's Harry's birthday. 12-year-old. Think of that. A 12-year-old. When you're a kid, too, I know when you get older, you're just kind of like, ah, oh, it's another year. Like, I'm, you know, I'm about to hit the big three zero at some point, and I'll be like, huh, after that, you know, it's just downhill from there. But when you're 12, man, like, that and Christmas is, like, what you look forward to, or whether you celebrate, you know, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or whatever you celebrate for the holidays. But, like, the, those two days, those are, like, your two big days. This is Harry's big day, and Uncle Vernon goes... Literally, just like you said, now as we all know, today is a very important day. And then it says, Harry looked up, but hardly, like, just like, so exciting, because he was basically thinking, he was talking about him, he says, this could very well be the day I make the biggest deal of my career. And then Harry just went back to making toast. Like, how sad is that, man? That, that like, crushed my heart at that moment and um remember he was like and where will you be Dudley?" and he was like i'll be at the door greeting the masons as they come in taking their coats and then aunt petunia was set up and then he was like here where will you be and he was like i'll be in my room making no noise pretending i don't exist <laughs> that's so sad man <laughs> that is just awful and he's, he, Uncle Vernon was basically like and that's right you will be <laughs> and, and I most definitely better not have a problem even to the point of Uncle Vernon like this is where he really I drew disgust for him as a character because he was such a tool to Harry in this particular book even in the movie which in the book it's a lot worse in the book remember he was like I'm going to beat you to death within an inch of your life. You <laughs> don't be quiet. Like, who says that? Like, who said something like that? It's messed up. They were even, like, after all the stuff went down that we'll talk about real quick, like, they were starving him. So he was stuck in that room. It was literally child abuse. And um, just like you said, you know, Dobby comes in. Dobby's one of my favorite characters. Uh, just because, <laughs> you know who's like, "Tommy has to punish himself, sir. <laughs> and he's like, but to iron his own hands. <laughs> or when in the book, remember he was jumping on the bed, um, which in the film, it's a little bit different. He was banging his head against the drawers. Um, and I just felt so bad for him. And the thing that stood out to me most is in this world, uh, what he's wearing, and it's described in the book a lot. He's wearing an actual pillowcase. And that's to always remind house elves of their enslavement. And that was just so sad. Like, can you imagine the always Put, clean your pillowcase tonight. Put that in the washer. It's getting a little dirty here. Yeah, so that really stuck out for me. Also, when, uh, so finally when, you know, remember, um, Dobby was like, You must not go back to Hogwarts this year. (laughs) Must not, Harry. And then, you know, Harry wouldn't promise that. He's like, no, this is where, you know, my friends are. I have to go back there. Being here is why I can't. And then (laughs) in the movie, it was like a really cool cake, I will say this. That cake looked good. It had that, like green and that purple cake that was like floating and then in the book it was it wasn't like a chocolate pudding yeah it was a truckle
0: pudding yeah it's good
1: chocolate pudding yeah i could just see it now and um he like snapped his fingers in the film it went all over miss mason and she like licked it or something not to bring up differences but finally it was the point of in the book remember they kept i gotta give I gotta give Uncle Vernon this, because he is definitely a salesman. Remember, he even sold him in the book. He was like, I'm sorry. This is my nephew. He doesn't get out much. That's why we keep him up He's very
0: disturbed. (laughs)
1: very disturbed. And um, he almost, like, sold it. But then it was when, like, a...
0: The owl came in.
1: The owl, Yeah. yeah. And, like, Miss Mason was afraid of owls and, like, ran out. Um, so I got to give him that, but when he was chasing after Harry, went and Ron went to come pick him up. The thing that stuck out to me was remember in the books. Um, so he for- it was actually a really intense moment because he forgets Hedwig, so he goes back in to go get Hedwig, and this is when everyone's like, "Oh crap, here we go." And he was like trying to burst through the door but what was holding him up was he had like bolted it down because he didn't want harry getting out or getting any of his mail all summer so he finally gets it out and that's right when harry went back to get headway because he would have been scott clean without Hedwig. but harry being the justice guy he is grabs harry and is running and then uncle vernon's like hanging out the window and one thing that i thought was so great about the book was when he finally pulled away when Ron, George, and Fred pulled him away in the car, Uncle Vernon just like a faceplant into the bushes below. Man, I was just like, "Oh man!" Like it got exactly what he deserved. <laughs> by the way, um, but the other big thing before they go to Hogwarts back at the Dursleys was it was just so much more descriptive is than the movie was. It was. Um, remember there was a point where Harry was dreaming about food. He was being starved so bad. Like it, it was literal child abuse. Um and then of course, you know, Ron and and George and Fred uh they come rescue him. But then they get over to uh what you call what's it called again? The Not burrow. The, the burrow, yeah, almost called it the bourbon. <laughs> that's alcohol chase place. Uh-huh. <laughs> Anyways. Um but yeah, so uh when they get there, one thing just like you were saying, I thought was really cool in the film though that wasn't actually in the book. I did like how she had the calendar when they arrived. It went from like you're at this place to now you're at home now. But <laughs> it had like Ron, Fred and George's faces on it. So that was pretty cool. I did like when they went in there, she already had You know, the dishes were going like the typical mom, like you already got everything going and it's like nine in the morning, everyone's exhausted already. And she was telling... Dude, the it boy, was like was 5
0: like, in the morning, bro. They got back like yeah. as, as the sun was coming up.
1: <laughs> like, that's right. Yeah, the yeah. sun was coming up. And she was like, it, you're going to gnome the garden after this. This is your fault. Yep. Like, this is your fault. You chose to stay up all night.
0: Which never happened in the movie. Exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just saying, in the movie, it was... I know.
0: I just, I just, I think that... How do you leave something like that out? Like, that's yeah. memorable. So, but yeah, yeah, I
1: don't know how you leave... Something like that out. What was funny was I passed in my notes where Uncle Vernon and said, I'll flay you within an inch of your life, boy. Like, (laughs) who says that? So messed up. But um, like you were saying, one big thing that did stick out to me was um, gnoming the garden because, remember, she was such a big Gilderoy Lockhart fan. Um, I'll, I'll mention in my interesting facts later a lot of people don't know, so there's actually two ways to gnome a garden, and the one Gilderoy Lockhart mentions, they actually say is inhumane to gnomes, but it was the easiest way to get it done, so he just threw it in his book. Um, just like you said after that, uh, you know, a big thing that did stick out to me, like you were saying, not to say exactly what you said, when you did go to and um, what was that shop called?
0: Borgen and Burks.
1: Morgan and Burks, right? Yeah, so um, I had things written down that were on the shelf too, but one thing that really stuck out to me was afterwards, it kind of reminded me if you were in like a bad place in like the city of Atlanta or the city of New York or somewhere like, imagine a 12 year old kid going somewhere you shouldn't have been. Like remember, it was really creepy in the book. You had that witch with a plate of fingernails that kept yeah. going up to him it was like, hey, you want some of these fingernails? That's like one of those guys is like, you want to buy a watch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Or getting into something you shouldn't be. Um, and then, you know, Hagrid comes to his rescue and was like, I was I was, what was he? It was like leaf flesh-eating
0: slug repellent.
1: Slug repellent, that was it, yeah. Um, and then, of course, one thing that I, I did um, really like was I did like when they went over to Gringotts. Um, That was in the book, not in the movie, because you went there and this was actually the first time you noticed Hermione's parents that really haven't been mentioned much. And this is what really sparked that big confrontation that comes up between Lucius, the first time you meet him, a complete tool, complete tool, and you have that big confrontation with arthur weasley and uh remember he was like i think we even have a we have a very different um different uh determination on what we call wizard uh malfoy so i have the quote in here but um basically what starts it up was remember Lucius was saying i can't believe you associate yourself with these kind of people and then was putting down his job the entire time I was like, oh, I guess they don't pay you enough. And it, it really sparked me as an adult. <clears throat> because as a kid, I definitely don't think I picked up on this. Because really, for a child's book, this is pretty detailed. Because remember, they had started that Muggles Protection Act. Which was really cool that they started. And at the same time, this big feud with Arthur and Lucius. Lucius is on the other side of things. Because he's getting his manner, like, rated the entire time. Um, where he's doing some things. This kind of goes into, you know, doing things that are against, uh, legally, I would say nowadays, um, that he shouldn't be doing. So it definitely sparks that. Um, but when they're over at the shop, over at, um, what was it called where they bought their books?
0: Flourish and blots, uh,
1: flourish and blots. Right. Um, yeah. One thing that really stuck out to me was, you know, these two really get into it to the point of, like you said, like, you know, the people in the shop were like, stop, stop. And they wouldn't. And then Hagrid had to break them up. Um, but didn't like a wand. I think someone shot their wand at one point and it blasted like Lucius back.
0: No, a spell book caught him in the eye. It was a spell book. It
1: was was a spell book. Yeah, you're right. Um, Which, uh, yeah, yeah, actually, I got it. Uh, Actually, that was the the gnomes. But, yeah, um, that's what I was going to say about that, was it was just really... I never expected out of all people for Arthur Weasley to stand up the way he did to Lucius Malfoy, which Lucius Malfoy as we get to know him very well in this series, he's kind of one of the, probably I would say like the baddest of the bad. Right. Um, and, and Jenny really kind of picks up in here as far as the Weasley family with a lot of foreshadowing that we'll talk about later on in this podcast of really kind of the future they have together. And of course, you know, the other power couple that comes around at some point, um, <clears throat> but yeah this is uh, I actually have that moment here uh, that happens but Lucius approaches Mr. Weasley and he says busy time at the ministry I hear said Malfoy all these raids. I hope they're paying you overtime <laughs> But just putting down his job and he reached into Ginny's cauldron could you imagine that a stranger reaching into your daughter's cauldron that's 11 years old how inappropriate is that? <clears throat> From amid the glossy Lockhart books, uh, very pulled out a very old, very battered copy of a beginner's guide to transfiguration. Obviously not, Mister Malfoy said. Dear me, what was the use of being a disgrace to the name of wizard if they don't even pay you well for it? Mister Weasley flushed, even darker than either Ron or Ginny. We have a very different idea of what disgraces the new wizard, Malfoy, he said. Clearly, because Malfoy's always got to have the last word, said Malfoy, as pale eyes straying to Mr. and Miss Granger, who were watching apprehensively. The company you keep, easily, and I thought your family could sink no lower. There was a thud of metal as Ginny's cauldron went flying. Mr. Weasley had thrown himself at Malfoy, knocking him backwards into a bookshelf. Dozens of heavy spellbooks came thundering down on all their heads. There was a yell of, Get him, Dad! from Fred and George. Your boy is egging him on, man. Uh, Miss Weasley was shrieking, No, Arthur, no! The crowd stampeded backwards, knocking more shelves over. Gentlemen, please, please! cried the assistant and then louder break it up gents break it up hagrid was waiting towards them through the sea of books in an instant they had pulled mr weasley and miss malfoy of mr malfoy apart like it took hagrid to pull them all apart um and then the next thing i had uh you know just like you were saying of course you get over to the platform nine and three quarters one thing i did like was when they ran into it you know uh Harry gets up, because everyone's looking at him there. Because you got to think, like, this would look very strange. He's like, I lost control of the trolley. He's like, (laughs) I could get that, because that would be something I would probably do at that age, honestly. Uh, Definitely would. I remember jousting in the Walmart aisles with buggies and uh, tennis rackets, man. (laughs) I was one of those kids. Um, And just like you said, the car scene, I thought that was very creative. I thought it was really cool. One thing in the film I actually did like, which wasn't in the book, I thought it was a little kind of ridiculous, but it was cool to see, was they were about to get hit by the Hogwarts train. (laughs) I thought that was pretty cool. Um, But I thought it was so creative, especially for, you know, one thing I got to say Joanna Rowling's really good at, she finds a good way to make this magical realm relatable to... The real world like using cars and that sort of thing or how would these kind of worlds collide living in a muggle world and then you're going over into the wizarding realm um, so I thought it was awesome And then you know they arrive at Hogwarts and <laughs> my boy professor Snape is ready to whip them up a new one and I'll let you take it from there man
0: for sure so now what we're gonna do is we're gonna move on to the next section for foreshadowed events, and we'll go from the start of the book to the start of Hogwarts there. And I'll put back over to you. So, for foreshadowed events during that same time period, I'll start right off at page seven. Uh, we learned that Harry hadn't received any letters from his friends. As of right now, when you first read that, you don't know why. It comes up, you know, that that's one of those foreshadows that's pretty much answered like pages later, but I still like to put it there. Um, you know, page 12. We are introduced to Dobby for the first time, and he's a big reoccurring character throughout the entire series of Harry Potter, all the way to the very last book. Um, He comes up really big. This is something there you might anyone could have missed. This is a really important foreshadowed event in page 17. Dobby gives Harry a hint because like Harry asks like you know who's who's behind all this stuff at Hogwarts is it you know who and Harry says not he who must not be named. He was trying to give Harry a hint there, because even in there it says like his eyes were wide as if he was trying to give Harry a hint, but Harry couldn't pick up on it. Yeah. So that's, right. that's a really big, uh, huge foreshadowed event right there on page seventeen. And then also when Dobby was talking about how there's powers that no decent wizard would use, I think that was a foreshadow to. Um, I don't want to give away what they are yet, but uh, the dark, the dark. Way that Voldemort goes about becoming immortal. I think this was a foreshadow to that because he says, Power's no decent wizard. Because keep in mind, Dobby knew of the diary since he was Malfoy's house elf. So I think this right here was a really big foreshadow of those things to come later that I won't mention right now. Um, then right on page 18, we'll get that full circle and we know why Harry hasn't been receiving his letter. Now, pages 20 and 21 for foreshadowed events. The improper use of magic comes up for the first time in regards to the decree for the reasonable restriction of underage sorcery. This comes up a couple times. This comes up once in uh, Prisoner of Azkaban and then once again in the Order of the Phoenix. Two big times. This is a big foreshadow for you know what's to come later on. I also have a, a plot hole for that kind of same area too. So, uh, Page 28. Uh, this is something that Fred tells... Harry, he says, House Elves have got powerful magic of their own, but they can't usually use it without their master's permission. And we get to taste later on of how powerful House Elf magic really is. They can go places where other people can't. So I thought that was a big foreshadow moment of, you know, the powers House Elves do actually have. Um, yeah. Also, you know, that page 29, that they do speculate that Dobby is Malfoy's House Elf. That was something that's a foreshadowed event that they, uh, they predicted. That was pretty yeah. awesome and then uh, page 29 again just a couple sentences later they talk about Lucius Malfoy being right in Voldemort's inner circle and how little do they know how right that was (laughs) like that was a huge foreshadowed moment Uh, page 30 Percy acting very strange shutting himself in his room we find out later on why he was not his pompous like I'm a prefect like everyone make way for me self because you know he's getting to that age where you start noticing you know, the opposite gender. So I won't, I won't get too far away in there, but he, you know, this is a foreshadow of why he was acting weird that summer. Uh, Page 34, the Weasley clock. The Weasley clock of where, like, everyone is located in the family. This is a huge foreshadow for book number five. If you guys remember, those Weasley clock comes up huge in saving somebody's life later on. I won't get too far ahead there. Um, Page 38, this is a huge foreshadow. Mundungus Fletcher's name gets brought up for the first time. Mundungus yeah, Fletcher. right. Yeah, this, this is the quote from it. Mundungus Fletcher tried to put a hex on me when I had my back turned. That's what Mr. Weasley had said. And that is straight in line from what we learned about who Mundungus Fletcher is and how he acts later on. Because to tell you just the book, in book seven, Mundungus Fletcher does something very shady, similar to, to that. So um that's the first time we hear his name. Page 46. We hear about the ordinary wizarding levels for the first time—the owl test that they take. Because Harry, or no, I'm sorry, not Harry Percy had received a lo- like twelve, I think it was twelve owls, which is really, really good in terms of scores for test results, and he hadn't bragged about it. That's why they're like, "Oh, he's acting strange." But owls come up later on. Yeah. That's going to be huge. Um, the Black Cabinet. You
1: know, I'm a big owls
0: person. You not. are no, no. You are a big owls person. You're you're <laughs> the owl guy, man. Um, I also put, even though I talked about it in my favorite moments, this was also a foreshadowed event when they used flu powder for the first time. Um, then in page 50, the black cabinet in Borgen and Burks, this is one of the biggest, the biggest foreshadows of the entire series. If anyone knows (laughs) what that black cabinet was used for later on, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. This is the first time we hear about it. And it's, that's a monster foreshadow. Um, Page 52, the opal necklace that's found in Borgen and Burks. That is used in book six to harm somebody. And I'm not going to say any more than that, but that's a huge foreshadow because this is where we see that necklace for the very first time. So then from there, page 63, Lucius Malfoy giving Ginny back her transfiguration book because we know what he does when he gives her the transfiguration book. What he, you know, what also he puts in there. Then page 66, like when they were all getting, remember when they were getting ready to leave and they had to go back to the house like three times because people kept forgetting stuff? Yeah. yeah. Ginny left her diary. Huge foreshadow moment there. Now imagine, like what if she had just left that diary home? I wonder how that school year would have been if that diary just was left there and she didn't go back for it. So very interesting. And then foreshadowed event here. um, Ron's, Juan snaps almost in two and why I call that a foreshadow event is because of (laughs) the troubles he has with that later on throughout the book and actually comes in handy at the very end of the book so I'll say that won't go too far into detail then just lastly I have for foreshadowed events the Whomping Willow it's introduced and this is the Whomping Willow has a lot of secrets about it and I won't say anything about it other than the fact that it comes up big later on in the series and those are my foreshadowed events from the start of the book to them arriving at Hogwarts Chase, I'll let you take some foreshadow events from the start of the book to when they arrive at Hogwarts, and you take it away from here, my man.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. (laughs) Like, I mean, (laughs) I had a lot of the ones you did, but you actually had a lot more than me. The only one I'll go into, because I have a lot more at actual Hogwarts, um, because you're the big foreshadow events guy, but the one I do want to say, when they're at, um, I always call it the Bourbon, (laughs) not the Bourbon. The Burrow. (laughs) The Burrow, Down in the Burrow. That's right. Yeah, that sounds like a country song. Sure uh, does. It <laughs> yeah, goes definitely. Down in the... What was that song? It was like, Down in the Bill. Down in the Bill. I think it's a hip-hop song. <laughs> Anyways, uh, <laughs> when they're there, though, one really big one that foreshadows events much later on, um, more like Deathly Hollows kind of later on, um, which we won't talk about what happens, but... Ron says when they get there to the burrow and Jenny just kind of looks at Harry for a minute and doesn't say anything. Um, you know, Ron says my sister, she's been thinking about you all summer and it really foreshadows, um, those two later on. She doesn't even say anything to him. And, uh, I mean, if that doesn't give it away right there, what she's thinking, (laughs)
0: which is crazy
1: okay she's 11
0: chase we're gonna we're gonna put that to the pause but it is crazy (laughs) because that that is really true uh you know that they that she like she goes from not being able to be in the same room embarrassed and nervous around him to like what happens later so really good point there but uh, yeah i'm sorry i let you go ahead and, and do some other foreshadowed events during that time unless was that the other one the only one you had that i didn't have there
1: Yeah, because a lot of mine were actually very similar to yours, but you actually had even more than me. Um, A lot of mine... Actually, a lot Maybe it's because I'm biased, because a lot of mine deal with our buddy Gilderoy at some point. Gotcha. (laughs) uh, Yeah, no worries. I'll let you go back to taking it... I guess we're... Did you want to go into plot holes or did you want to go right into Hogwarts?
0: So we'll do the plot holes from the beginning to where they start at Hogwarts. And then the interesting facts from the beginning to where they start at Hogwarts. So I'll start here because I only got about five big possible plot holes. And just a couple questions that maybe between you and I, we can bounce ideas off each other and see if maybe we can come up with the answer. But here's a good plot hole for me, man. Just in page 13, how does Dobby get into Harry's house? Right, because remember he had to come in through the front door when he was like so, like like sweaty from doing the chores that Aunt Petunia made him do. After that, he saw Dobby's eyes in the bush. Well, how did Dobby get into Harry's room? My my assumption is that he used magic to get himself in the room, like he snapped his fingers and like apparated in his own way into Harry's room. Now, if that was the case why is that a problem well because that would be the first time that there was like magic done in in the household that he got in trouble for you know a couple pages later but like that would be the very first time so like why would that not come up at all like how would you get into the house if you just like poofed yourself there well an owl should have arrived right away saying hey you know what you used an apparition charm to you know whatever so i think did you did you catch that is that something that what do you think you think i'm on the right page there
1: no, I think you're. I think you're definitely on the right page for a, a plot hole because my mistake actually, because I didn't look this much detailed in it the first time because I was just assuming. There's a place I I can actually mention the name because it we talked about it here, um, Malfoy Manor. There's a book much later on where um, he does magic and in that Malfoy manner, but that's that's a magical place. So that that was really my mistake, actually, when reading it, because I just kind of scammed over it, and I was like well, he's done it in other places. However that's right. Like, you should have gotten a letter from the Ministry, unless unless maybe sneakily he was like Fred and George, and somehow like in that film, he was running up and down the stairs, and apparently none of the poor people even saw him, so <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it's. That is. I mean, I. I guess I would probably assume he climbed through that window, but the window is barred up. So actually, that takes that.
0: And it was so high. Like, it's on the second story, and he's a tiny house elf. How the heck is he getting up there? <laughs>
1: Climb down the chimney, baby. That's where like, But how does he get up
0: on from? the chimney? You know what I mean? <laughs> does he got to use magic to arrive on the chimney? Either way, like, I feel like he's had to use magic at some point to get somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, I just think that that was a possible plot hole there that we could, we you know, good to discuss there. Nothing too crazy to the storyline, but just something I'm like, hmm, this gave me yeah. some thoughts about. Um,
1: I, yeah, that's a good notice though, because that um that's not really something you think too much in detail when the story just gets started, because you're yeah. so ready to just blaze through it. So that was a really good, that was a really good pickup there. Good stuff, Jane awesome. Nelly in the building, baby. Good stuff.
0: <laughs> this Mouse next one, chalice. Cheers, yeah. bro. Hey, I'll, I'll cheers, cheers to you. Cheers, bro. This is the
1: chalice, baby. Good stuff.
0: Now, the next one I have... This isn't really a big plot hole. This is just a question I have. I'm like... and Not even a question. More like a statement that I just find funny. Like, Ron sent Hermione a letter... Saying that they were going to go and try and rescue Harry from the Dursleys... But, like, he couldn't even leave his mom a note. Like, he, he wrote out a whole letter... <laughs> tied it to an owl sent it to hermione but couldn't be like hey mom we're gonna be back with harry soon like you know that that owl could have been intercepted could have never arrived like like, he was okay with trying to inform hermione but his mom nope that screw that (laughs) screw that
1: most definitely not
0: (laughs) and then another question i have because this isn't a plot hole because we don't like it's not an answer that i can like dispute but like What fireplace do they come out of in Diagon Alley? Like, you know how he came out of, like, the fireplace in Borgin and Burks? Like, where would you have gotten out originally? Would have been the Leaky Cauldron? But then that doesn't make sense, because that's not in Diagon Alley. That's how you get through to Diagon Alley. So, what fireplace in Diagon Alley are they coming out of? Like, if everything went perfectly, and Harry said Diagon Alley normally, what fireplace and what shop would he have come out in?
1: That's a great point. Because what fireplace is distinguished... For people to come out during the middle of all these shops. Imagine Times Square. Like, Where are you popping out of a chimney in Times Square? That's basically where they were going. Like, this is the Times Square of the Wizarding World, and you're just popping out of chimneys?
0: Very strange, right?
1: Clearly Santa Claus comes to town. (laughs) Because chimneys are apparently the way to go. I I don't know, man. I I 100% agree with you there. 100%. I think it's a plot hole. Well, I don't. I don't know. I guess it's technically not because you could add it. Yeah, like someone
0: could like add it and put it there. I just like I don't know how it's why it's never brought up. But yeah, just something I thought about. <laughs> then another thing I thought about too. This one isn't a plot hole, but it comes in this area because it's a question for me. It's like, how is there such thing as poor wizards and witches? Like you can literally magic your stuff, like like magic things to what you want. Like I don't get how you can be poor like you don't like you know you can make things appear like you can change things into what you need them you're a wizard like how i i just don't understand how you can be poor i don't i don't understand because like is isn't that weird
1: that not to interrupt you on this but i was thinking about that too actually especially when in that part of the book where they went to the bank uh which was really cool um here's what i would think right i would think which this is just me thinking outside the box. It could very well be a plot hole. But I think it goes into there's a reason you have a Ministry of Magic. Like, I, I think you can do that. Just like how, remember, part of the Sorcerer's Stone was you could be as rich as you want. Like, I, I think you can do magic like that. But my I, this is just me. I didn't get this from anywhere. So, all you Harry Potter fans... I I know you're going to try to burn me on this. (laughs) Like, because I... Trust me, I didn't get this from anywhere. This is just my own personal thought on this, on how I made it made sense in my head. I would think the Ministry of Magic would have rules on that, so you couldn't just have people making money, because otherwise their economy would shut down. There'd be no reason to even have a Hogsmeade at that point, because everyone would just have all this money, and it's kind of like... Putting this in sort realistic terms, to relate it to everyone out there, you know, the United States, where me and uh, Jay Nelly live, you know, right now, we're just printing out money because we've had to because of the pandemic. But eventually, we're gonna have to pay that back because that's also why the US dollar isn't as valuable as the Euro right now, because it goes into currency. So in well, my own head, Sorry, after you, buddy. The only thing I
0: have to say that is, like, I wasn't even thinking about, like, they can make their own money. I'm thinking Mm -hmm. that they can get around without using money to pay for anything. Like, they can, like, summon chickens and kill them and make the food. Like, like, they don't need to, like, Mrs. Weasley knits sweaters and makes clothes. Like, what are they spending the money that they earn on? That's what I'm saying. Like, you don't need to spend any money because you can get all of those items and stuff. You can create those things. So, like... Really, what are you what are you spending your money on that you can't you know create outside of money itself? Because I, I agree, I think that you have to regulate like the money side of stuff. That was never the question. My question is like, why would you need that kind of money in the first place? Like, can't you get every, all the resources that you need without even using money because you have the magic wand? I don't know.
1: No, that, that's a fantastic question. My kind of side of that though, going into the money thing, what I was really trying to get to a point about, but it was. It was kind of hard to route it there with the way it's going. So I probably routed this the wrong way. But my point would be, like, you would think they would have some sort of rules and regulations. Like, yeah, you could probably conjure up anything you want, but that would be considered, I guess, like, frowned upon, like, dark magic or something. Say if I just made a crap load of chickens just to eat and kill. Well, then they're like, well, that's not... Like, you shouldn't be doing that. (laughs) Like, that's in the law. Like, you're not allowed to do that. So that's just the way I put it in my head. Then again, I gotta give you credit, because that was something I didn't think too much into that I should have thought more into. Um, Because I, myself, personally, um, just assuming the ministry would have laws on what you can do and what you can't. Kind of like the restricted section of the library. Like, there's a reason... First years can't just go up there without a signed permission slip, because they don't want them doing these things. Just like adults, right? You can still do a lot of those, but I'm sure at some point, just like Avada Kedavra, like (laughs) that's a curse that's unforgivable. Like I'm assuming there would be some sort of rules and regulation there where you just can't be like, I want to be the richest person in the world. Or, you know, I want to have everything right here in my house and just, like, summon it up. I would assume, given going to the point to base things off of evidence, even just this previous couple first chapters when this started on, uh, right after Harry's birthday in Chapter 2, you know, when that charm spell happened, you know, he immediately got a letter. So I'm assuming someone would get a letter or something on that, like, hey... You can't be just doing that. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I can see it. Like the
0: regulations, yeah. I mean, I I could buy that. I just wish they maybe would have, like, mentioned that or maybe they could have gone into detail because she was good about detailing a lot of stuff. I think Mm -hmm. kind of really regulating, you know, what you can and can't do and at least detailing it out so I don't have these, like, blurring questions in my mind like how can you be poor when you can turn this table into a chicken and eat it like, how are you ever going to be poor <laughs> but like you know that maybe they have like you know certain yeah. like restrictions that like, you can only do but then like the farmers like i know i don't know like it, it, it it's a whole thing that like i just have a question like hey you know like we could have gotten a more clear-cut answer than we did get so it's just a question 100%. i had in my head 100%. You know?
1: but imagine if you were that farmer and you're like my damn neighbor just summoned all my chickens that were here. <laughs> I
0: <don't remember>. yeah. <laughs>
1: neighbor just took my dog.
0: <laughs> like, what? But neighbor at the same time, that's like dog, a thief. So he took mine. Yeah, that's like a thief. <laughs> I'm saying like... You could literally remember what what did Pro- Professor McGonagall do? She like turned like the, the podium into a pig. Like she just like you know what I mean. Like you could just turn inanimate objects into animate objects, and then like you know it seems like yeah. you always find sustenance. But
1: that goes into Westworld. You're playing God at that point. There's a ministry
0: right? for that. <laughs> I'm with you. I think I'm sure that that's exactly what it is. But it would have been nice to kind of get some closure or some 100%. like detail on it. Um, no
1: props to you, man. That that was a good one. I. I, I 100 percent um 100 percent agree on that that's 100 percent got my backing i'll go to bat for you on that one (laughs) good
0: Good stuff stuff, my man then going into page 57 when because you actually brought this up and this this falls right into my possible plot holes when we talk about the vaults and green guts like mrs weasley felt right into the corners before sweeping the whole lot in the bag but how can you do that? Like, if it's a vault, and like all of that we've seen, at least on film, and what I've even in my head seen in the like, read in the books and visualized is you like walking into it. You can't like you're not gonna sit there and walk into it and feel every corner of like a cave. You know what I mean? Because right. we see like you know later on like the bigger vaults, but even in the the previous books, *Sorcerer Stone*, like Vault Seven One Three, where like the you know we see how vaults are, but like they almost. Made it seem like the Weasley's vault was like a mailbox that you can just you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> grab in and slide in. So like, what are the vaults in Gringotts? Are they walking vaults? Are they just ones that you can slide your hand in like a mailbox? Is it a like is it a combination of both depending on what kind of money you had? I don't know. We didn't get any sort of you know answer to that either. <laughs>
1: yeah, and that goes all the way back to plot holes and even Sorcerer's Stone. So uh, yeah. man
0: 100% and then this is one that's just specifically in the book and it's just a typo and I just wanted to like read out the typo so let me go ahead and read it in context because I just wrote down the quick quote there so I'll go ahead and read it in context for you so on page 66 he goes uh you know Harry couldn't see how eight people six large trunks two owls and a rat were gonna fit into one small Ford Anglia he had reckoned, of course, without the special features that Mr. Weasley had added. Not a word to Molly, he whispered to Harry as he opened the trunk to show him how it had been magically expanded so that the luggage fitted easily. Um, fitted is not a word. <laughs> like, like, It's fit, like the luggage fit easily. But right there in the book on page 66, it says luggage fitted easily. So just wanted to point that out there. That's absurd. Yeah, you need a better publisher jk <laughs> but uh, or editor i'm sorry better editor my fault and then uh page 69 ron tells harry that his mom and dad don't need the car because they know how to operate we already talked about this like there are so many other ways like if he knew that they could operate they wouldn't need to take the car they could have just waited by the car mom and dad gotta come back for the car anyways at some point could have just waited from the to to the car that would just more along the lines of maybe the kids being dumb but i just thought like you know that that could be something that we could bring up and then the last one that i have before arriving to hogwarts is ron unlocking the trunk of the Ford anglia with a series of taps from his wand and started the ignition with another tap of his wand how was there no underage magic violation for that? He never got a, uh, uh, an owl or a letter <laughs> saying, like, you did underage, you know, starting of a car. Like, he literally, like, in broad daylight, same thing, you know, it kind of happened in Harry's house. There was muggles around, and he used his wand and unlocked the trunk and started the car, and he never got a letter saying, you know, you broke the the rule of underage wizardry. Like, where was the letter? What do you got for me, Chase? Where was the letter?
1: My only argument with that was, remember when... Which this wasn't wouldn't really fall under it, but remember Arthur Weasley in the book says he put a loophole in that car. So because it is actually a car, say right that could be perceived as not magic. Maybe the trunk just malfunctioned and opened because they are perceiving it as a car. Um, just same same thing what he was basically saying, without giving the exact quote, so it makes a little bit more sense, uh, you know, just for basic terms here. The car, the loophole he put in, by developing that at the Ministry and the way he was getting away with it, you can see the car fly, because even though we don't, we actually, I guess nowadays, technically do have the technology, we just don't see them, but basically they could develop that, so the car would fly, so you could blame it that the car is flying, that's not magic doing the car. So my argument would be, and I, I actually agree with you. I'm just coming up with an opposition side. My opposition side would be maybe that trunk malfunctioned is the way they would perceive that. But so they they know. have,
0: they have like a, a radar detector. Like everyone has like what's called the, the, the trace. Sorry to foreshadow for very long. Okay. So they can, yeah. they know when any wizard does any sort of magic So, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, the the people in, like, the improper use of Magic Office or whatever it is, Mafalda Hopkirk is her name, like, she would have known right away, like, hey, like, even if it looked like that to the the muggles around them, he still used Magic underage to open it and start the car. Like, he still did that.
1: Yeah, I have to agree with you on that, too. That is a plot hole because even to the point of what comes up later... You know, even with that loophole in there, it still definitely gets noticed. It's not like they didn't see that because of that loophole. And they definitely made a case of it. So, I would say that too. My kind of argument was, even though it was magic, because it appeared to a muggle as if it could be a malfunction or he trained the car to just respond Almost like an Alexa Echo, right? Or say if you just, you know, clap on, clap off with the lights, clap on, clap off. So he moved his wand, or say you had a wand like a universal, and they just perceived it as more of a remote control. It could be passed off as that. But yeah, it's like um, a camera doesn't lie, so a radar detector isn't going to lie. So, so yeah, I it have. Should have been brought up.
0: I do have the the page here in 21, because there, there's two different mm-hmm. violations, right? There's So here we go. So, as you know, un- this is from Mafalda Hopkirk. This is the actual letter he received. Dear Mr. Potter, we received intelligence that a hover charm was used at your place of residence this evening at 12 minutes past 9. As you know, underage wizards are not permitted to perform spells outside school. So, Ron performed a spell outside school. And fel- further spell work on your part may lead to the expulsion from said school... And it cites Decree for Reasonable Restriction of Underage Sorcery, 1875. So that's one violation. And then the other one you're talking about, it's like, we would also like to remind you that any magical activity that risks notice by members of the non-magical community, Muggles, is a serious offense under Section 13, of the International Confederation of Orlock Statute of Secrecy, so the mm-hmm. Statute of Secrecy, I'm okay with they, they 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 could get away with that, but he still performed underage magic. There was two violations. One you can't get past. He performed magic <laughs> underage, so that's what I'm saying there. Yeah, but
1: so. Th- so well, we'll talk about that later whether or not because I know they. Clearly, it was in the papers. You know right. I'm talking yeah, about. yeah, yeah. No,
0: so, like, yeah, he, he would have got caught for that, too. I'm just saying, like, I'm not basing the fact of, like, them being able to use a loophole uh, because, like, you know, the Muggles could have been, you know, they could have been seeing things or and it could have been explained. I'm just saying, like, Ron used magic underage, and that's it alone is a violation of a separate um, decree than the uh, International Statute of Secrecy. So there's the underage wizardry, law that was that could be broken or the international secrecy statute that could be broken and Ron definitely broke the uh, underage wizardry one but anyways yeah. that's what I have got for plot holes from the, the beginning of the book to when they arrive at Hogwarts I'll turn it over to you for any plot holes you have between the beginning of the book and the beginning of Hogwarts that maybe I missed or if you wanted to touch up on any of the ones we went over or anything like that my man
1: honestly really I, I didn't Not for this point. I have one, um, really, honestly, like, I couldn't find so many huge plot holes. I have one major plot hole that's at Hogwarts that I focused on that I wrote down. Because it is a major one. Awesome. Like, it's a major one to the point of this whole book collapse. But they just brush over it like it's no big deal. And we'll talk about that in a minute. That was a big one. So that's really what I focused on. Um... Cool. The rest of it, the the rest of it, the reason I was okay with little tiny plot holes here and there like that, is because I accepted the fact this was originally made for children. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, which I think you know, <clears throat> you know, it, it, <laughs> like Game of Thrones, I would dive in and just go off on something like this. But at the same time, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, a third grader, how could I sit? here and yell at them for something like dobby jumping right. on the bed like what chimney chimney did he go down am i gonna yell at a third grader over that i'm like definitely college, we're gonna have a big issue but <laughs> for like someone like like chamber of secrets it's still at the point like i'm not happy with it like i'm not like oh this is awesome to plot holes but i'm like okay with something here and there and there was definitely no like season eight game yeah. thrones plot hole problem. so to this I have one, to that point
0: yeah yeah to, yeah to the point between the beginning of the book and the start of hogwarts there wasn't any huge huge ones but right those are some ones but uh yeah
1: but no you. i think you hit all those on the on the head there
0: that was awesome
1: cool stuff.
0: then i've only got four points for interesting facts between the start of hogwarts i'm sorry from the beginning of the book to the start of hogwarts that i'm just going to bring up i'm not even going to go into detail about it, just mention it I uh, actually already said one of them. Um, Afael the Hopkirk is she's the the head of the improper use of magic office. Also, the flying car, the uh, Ford Anglia, was in 1959. I don't know why I decided to look into that. I just thought it was cool because I like cars. So uh, that's the car the year. And then we also learned that Mister Weasley works in the misuse of muggles artifacts office, which I found interesting. Then in page 34, just a popular singer. I thought it was cool that like the wizarding world kind of operates the same way as the non-magical world. There's a popular singer called Celestino Warbeck, and I wrote that down there. I thought that was interesting. And then the, just the last one was the Whomping Willow, and like a little bit about like the history of all that and um, the, the the tree itself and how it, it defends its own. You know, as we see later, I don't want to get too far into it when you see like the bandages and all of that, but. Those are my interesting facts from the start of the book to where Hogwarts starts. Do you have any interesting facts that you want to touch on in that time period?
1: Yeah, I got a few of them that are pretty cool. Cool. Um, Nothing like super important, but it's really cool to hear because you don't really think about it very often. Take it away. So one big thing that actually a lot of the communities we're talking about, because when I look at these interesting facts and stuff, so I actually only go... Like we always talk about, like, Jane Ellie and I, we only go to legitimate sources. So I only go to the ones Joanna Rowling has actually commented on. And, you know, we're huge, big Harry Potter fans. But one thing that I did to research this was this was actually a big question that was in the Harry Potter community. And and no one's been able to answer it while I did kind of find the answer. Um, So the big question was, are there other types of elves in this wizarding world? Um, which if you go into, like, Lord of the Rings and stuff, right? You have High Elves, or you have, you know...
0: Woodland Elves. ...Christmas
1: time, right? (laughs) Woodland Elves. So, the answer... Unfortunately, it wasn't really the answer I wanted. But, it does give us, really, a direction here. So, according to a thread that was on Pottermore that Joanna Rowling, JK Rowling, actually commented on with her answer... So, she said, this is a common question that I do usually get. She said, I have not stated that they do not exist, other types of elves. However, the elves currently around the wizarding world, so that would mean if these other elves are there in her world, maybe they're in London, maybe they're somewhere else, Um, just because they're not in the wizarding world doesn't mean they don't exist. But truly, to magical wizarding world that she has already referred to in her books. I haven't given any incantation that high elves and other elves do not exist. However, in the wizarding world, I see them as what I call brownies. So brownies are basically, in her words, really low class is basically what they are, is how they've seen as. Um, And so the answer to it that the community was talking about back and forth based on what she's saying is theoretically she could come up with that idea, which would be really cool if she added it. But they won't ever be in the wizarding world because she looks as elves were supposed to be born into that lifestyle, which goes into my next interesting fact. Um, so, how are house elves enslaved? <laughs> so, that's a really kind of. That's a good one. Not for that to be dark, but um, really, like, it's a big deal in this world, right? As far as Dobby, and, you know, there's a, a lot of elves we actually see. Um, Well, basically, the way it actually starts, and this actually came straight from Joanna on this same thread. You can look this up, Pottermore.com. So, the way Hal's Elves uh, started. So, they originally um, started, I guess it was, I can't remember what century it was, but way back, and they started working in the kitchens. Just like how I said, you know, Helga Hufflepuff was one of the first ones to put them in the kitchens, but this is really cool. So the reason they're actually enslaved is because when the ministry was founded, they found a charm to bewitch their mind to think they're lower than wizard class. So because of that, they're actually enslaved based on the bewitchment. Um, and it's, they're very expensive too. So unless most house elves, they said you actually inherit. So of course the most known are actually the Malfoys and the Blacks, like Sirius Black. Those are the two most known. They did say, she did say, and she put this right on the website, you can go look it up. You can buy a house elf. So you can, but to her words, quote unquote, they are very expensive. So I don't know how much that would even cost. It is not known, most of them, what they do is, you know, you know, uh, you can look at this in a good way or a bad way, but most of them stay in the family going all the way back up to, you know, their founding fathers basically, and they just continue to breed them and they just get, not that I'm for enslavement or anything, but that's just the way it's done. And most of them don't ever get handed clothes. Um, but Basically, that bewitchment charm, that's what was part of it. Um, was it said the bewitchment charm is used to trick the mind to thinking that they are unworthy of their own owner and to show worth to their owner, what they have to be presented with is the owner gives them an actual piece of clothing. So that's where uh, that comes from. And when they are finally given worth, it actually breaks that, I don't know if it's a charm or a curse, but the bewitchment is what she describes it as. And that's how, like, once Davi was getting clothes, you don't see this, but it actually broke that spell in his mind that he has to listen to Lucius. Which makes sense, because think of all the times he was just abusing himself. Um... So and then I had a question of, what's the difference between a warlock and a wizard? Because we actually hear a lot of a warlock and a wizard, and this I really liked and I definitely wrote down because it goes into what we were talking about uh, one day that we talked about on the mid season hiatus or mid not hiatus mid season state of the union, not going on hiatus on this show. Not going <laughs> one two three four, yeah, <laughs> good stuff. Um, but according to Pottermore. Warlocks only use dark or evil magic. Also, they do not require wands and usually don't use wands. Warlocks are looked at as only the elite of all wizards. Wizards that use light magic choose to use a wand because they can control their powers. So a warlock chooses not to use a wand because dark magic can sometimes become uncontrollable, is what they were saying. Um, and like I said, only the elite are even looked at as being, have the title of warlock. So I thought that was cool. Um, the only other couple ones was, you know, I had that question of Malfoy Manor and what was located that, remember, um, Draco was talking about he had that. It was like a chamber.
0: You jump. Uh, you jumping ahead of us to when they'd use the, the potion to go in there and talk to him?
1: Oh, okay. My bad. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> um, the only other one then, so we'll wait on that. Sorry, my bad. I jumped on that one. Um, but the other one was, so, you know, we talked about the burrow. Um, so the ghoul, that's in the top of the app.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so this one was really cool. So, to this day, no one knows how it got there. It's just in the attic. It was considered, of course, more of a pet by the Weasleys. And it was also, uh, of course, you know, usually by them, just associated with, you know, grooming and banging pipes and stuff. Basically, because they never really took the time to know much about it. But they do know. It was actually a chameleon ghoul. So what that means is chameleon ghouls, you know, just like a chameleon, they will actually blend in with their environment, but they were really just looked at as more pests. There are two other kind of ghouls. Um, there is actually an old ghoul, which is the same thing, basically just like a pest form of ghoul that gets into attics and basements, um, but they can't change the color of their environment. And that's what they're usually found in attics, basements, you know, storage units. Uh, The other type is called a Murder Ghoul, so it does not uh, change color, they're actually very aggressive and only found in the Forbidden Forest, so I thought it was really cool. And there is actually a ghoul task force that is at the Ministry of Magic that I didn't know about. Um, It's at the Ministry of Magic, and it's also employed by the Department of Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures, which is really awesome. Um, basically what that one is, it's lower than the ministry, but it's basically your modern day exterminators. <laughs> like they only, they don't deal with the murder ones. That's what the ministry is for. They're not dealing with that, but they, the ones that are basically pests in your attic, um, that's what they deal with. And then the last thing I had on here was, um, so in the borough, this goes to there. I think at one point they did mention it was... Uh, Was it here where they mentioned that Ron had the adventures of Merton Muggs and the Mad Muggle? Yes. Um, Yeah, so I thought it was cool, because I'm a big comic book nerd. You know, I I like all the comic book stuff. I can tell you how to find, you know, the the first prints and all that kind of stuff, just because I'm a weird guy. So I thought it was cool. Uh, Basically, what that is, is that was uh, the first comic book published. Um, by the Wizarding World, and it was released in the 1960s um, by what they call the LCLA, which is their publishing company. Um, It's focused, which is interesting here, um, why Ron would have it, because it relates to Arthur Weasley. It's focused on Martin Miggs, who was a mad muggle that could never do magic, so he was always mad. Um, And basically what would happen is, it was a very boring comic, actually, Um, it was a storyline based in, basically, I guess like the 50s is when the storyline was. But like, the storyline was, for instance, one was trying to teach their dog tricks, or he was actually teaching, um, you know, people how to write their names on paper or using chalk. Just basically doing modern day muggle things that have nothing to do with magic. Um, it costed 7 sickles and 27 nuts. Um, the 13th anniversary was a big deal and was released in the 1990s. Uh, and actually, Folius uh, Flitwick uh, was actually one of the biggest collectors of this comic book. And in the 1980s, um, multiple people, just like how we were talking about, uh, Impulsum <laughs> Logan Ball <laughs> bought that massive like Charizard card. This was kind of the same thing. Like, Flitwick was actually looked at as kind of top of his class, and he spent, like, a boatload of money in the 80s on this comic book, just like how Ron wanted, like, the, um, you know, the chocolate frog cards and stuff. And it does say they made their biggest um, run, actually, during 1991 to 1992. They had issues one through six that were on sale right in the Gryffindor Common Room, a price that three sickles each. They sold out basically every day, um, and also one of them featured uh, Nicholas Flamel, which was actually like a cool like I thought it was cool because it's actually someone we hear about. Um, so those were just not really make or break important things. Just thought those were pretty cool, interesting facts.
0: Awesome, man! No, I like those. That was really cool. Um, so what I'll do is I'll just breeze through, like, my favorite and impact moments from now where we're at Hogwarts to the end of the chapter of the Rogue Bludger. I'll turn it over to you, and we'll do the same for all the other sections here. So, starting at Hogwarts, uh, I have at page 81, Dumbledore's disappointment in his voice was worse than what he actually shouted, is what Harry described. So, like, he's like, man, I wish Dumbledore would have yelled at me, because, like, that cold disappointment made him feel even worse. So that just... Why that stuck out to me, especially because in the not this movie, but the next and further movies, when they get that new Dumbledore, the new uh actor, yeah, he doesn't portray Dumbledore the way he's supposed to be in the books. And I'll say that a couple times throughout the series, I'm sure, but uh, I thought that was a pretty good indication right there. Boom, Dumbledore, he can say a lot without saying a lot, if that makes sense, you know what I mean? So, oh,
1: most definitely.
0: Uh, he even tells him too that like you know if you do anything like this again he has no choice but to expel them I always had a feeling that like Harry is one of his favorite students and obviously that that comes up later on in the future books but like he's willing to expel them like listen like no like you guys did a really bad thing with this car situation like I have no choice like you guys you know do anything else to break the rules I have to expel you no matter if you know you're my best student my worst student it doesn't matter you guys screwed up so bad that next time you put a toe (laughs) out of line you're out of here right so i thought it was kind of cool too in pages 84 to 85 the gryffindors treating them like heroes for flying the car in the whopping willow remember they got (laughs) up from the feast they opened the common room door and they got cheers and like back slaps and everything like they were they were hailed as heroes for that entrance i thought that was pretty cool that was awesome um, page 87, poor Errol the Owl. He falls into, like, Hermione's milk jug. <laughs> like, these guys are still sending this owl on trip. He's on his last leg. Like, how are you guys still trying to, like, make him do stuff, poor guy? Uh, I thought that was sad. And then, obviously, the next page, 88, the howler goes off. This is the first time we hear about a howler, which you guys, for a brief description, it's a very, it's a red letter that smokes and fumes until you open it. And when you open it, it literally just shouts at you, the angry message For everyone to hear within, like, a mile radius. (laughs) Like, it's it's just (laughs) super, super loud. So, uh, really embarrassed Ron and Harry there. I thought that was cool. Uh, Page 90. They get to use Greenhouse 3. And why I put this as one of my favorite moments is because Greenhouse 3... uh, It says that uh, their words were... there are more dangerous and interesting plants than they've ever done before in Greenhouse 1. And, obviously, we get to figure out what those are in a couple seconds. Um, But, in page 99... We get to see all of... Actually, I'm going to read these because these are important. Especially when you just kind of brought up uh, the differences between Warlocks and Wizards. It gets crazy how some people have certain um, titles. So I guess Gilderoy Lockhart doesn't include Warlock. But I know Dumbledore's does include um, Warlock back in Sorcerer's Stone. But these are Gilderoy Lockhart's titles. Gilderoy Lockhart, Order of Merlin, 3rd Class... Honorary member of the Defor- De- Dark Force Defense League and five-time winner of Witch Weekly's Most Charming Smile Award. So those are Gilderoy Lockhart's titles. Um, the Cornish Pixies. I love the Cornish Pixies yeah. because, to me, they, like, awesome. like, they kind of did a good job, too, in the movie of making them kind of look like what I thought they were going to look like. Dude, they look like mini-stitches from Lilo and, Lilo and Stitch, like that they Disney did. movie. They look, look like mini it. Stitch, and they kind of act like them, too. So... I thought it was awesome because they fucked up the whole classroom. The pixies took Lockhart's <laughs> wand. They threw it out the window. Like, they, like, literally, like, this is the first time why it, this hit me so big is because this is the first time you see Lockhart just fail miserably. Like, you hear him talk a big game, and this is the first time you get to realize he's kind of full of crap, right? So he, like, these little tiny pixies took his wand and launched it out the window, and he's like, oh, Harry, Ron, how about you guys, Hermione, how about you guys clean <laughs> clean these uh, pixies up, please? But um, I thought that Very that exciting. was pretty cool. Uh, I, page 104, we're starting to have like, Ron's wand start acting up. Ron's wand shooting out and hitting Professor Flitwick between the eyes, causing a large green throbbing boil. thought that was kind of cool. Uh, and here's one here. Like You were talking about how we deal with some certain social justice issues. I thought this was great. We have some uh, awesome equality going on here for page 107 we get introduced to the full lineup of the Gryffindor Chasers, and they're all mm-hmm. females. It's uh, Katie Bell, Alicia Spinnet, and Angelina Johnson. Those yeah. are the Gryffindor Chasers. So pretty nice on uh, the Gryffindor with uh, putting the girls on the team, some good equality going on there. Page 111, it's not one of my favorite moments, but it is an impact moment. Uh, Malfoy being the new Slytherin Seeker, and how he bought his way onto the team with the Nimbus 2001 broomsticks uh yeah page 113 ron accidentally cursing himself to puke up slugs that was a big moment (laughs) uh hagrid told lockhart in page 117 that harry was more famous than lockhart was without even trying that he never read any of his books and made lockhart upset i thought that was (laughs) awesome and to your point here too uh page 117 i know you had questions about it but this i wrote it down just in case maybe you glossed over it when we talked about you you said last Uh, You know, two weeks ago, actually, when we did part one of Sorcerer's Stone, you said um, you had a feeling that Hagrid's wand was still as an umbrella. Well, this is right here. It says it. Mm -hmm. You know, page 117, Hagrid's umbrella wand, Uh, you know. So (laughs) now we're going into page 120 when they do the detentions. Harry hears the first voice, like the voice for the very first time, the disembodied voice that, you know, really kind of sets the whole climax up, you know, for later on. This is the first time he hears it. Page 122, the Pepper Up potion, I thought was pretty cool. So basically, it's like, uh, I, I, what I have it thinking of, it tastes almost like a peppermint like drink. And when you take it down, it makes you smoke out of the ears. And it's supposed to like make any sort of common illness or cold or flu go away really quickly like within the day. But it makes their ears smoke for the next couple. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, page 124, Nearly Headless Nick is upset about being denied from the headless hunt. Which, like, why are you upset, yeah. bro? You literally still have your head on. Like, you can't get mad about that. Yes, it's only inches, but still. Um, I also, in page 125, I we find out that Fred and George have a whole cabinet to themselves in Professor Filch's office. Like, they're, they're <laughs> such troublemakers and badasses that, like, they got a that whole awesome. cabinet just for them. I thought that was Those sweet. your boys, man. That's my boy. I love Fred and George. 100%. Also on <laughs> page 125, think. to kind of, like talk about how messed up argus filch is we see the chains and manacles hung on the wall behind filch's desk like that was a rumor <laughs> in sorcerer's stone we see it's actually true here in chamber yeah. of secrets so thought that was pretty cool uh we look at the quick spell book and that's pretty cool because it's talking like that's something that i won't talk about right now we find it out in a little bit what happens but the quick spell book uh is for a certain type of person um that i'll you know get into in a little bit but uh going on further nearly how this nick convinces peeves to make the crash to get harry out of trouble and this is the why i put that as an impact moment is because this is the first time we see a ghost help a student like we've never seen a ghost like go out of his way to like you know help anybody before they just kind of are around to answer questions and stuff but he actually convinced peeves to do something bad to get harry out of trouble and i thought that was interesting uh page 129 nearly how this nick invites harry to his death day party which of favorite course, is, chapter. yeah, Death Day party fire. is pretty cool. It. I like no I would not say my favorite chapter, but definitely up there. Uh, and it's sad because it doesn't even appear in the movie, right? Um, page one thirty-one thirty-one. This is these are my <laughs> boys again, Fred and George. They're feeding filibuster fireworks to a salamander, making a bang <laughs> and swirl around the, wor- the room. That's my boys. They're causing trouble and mischief. Gotta love so it. So
1: messed up. <laughs>
0: it's good, good stuff. And then we actually have the death day party, which I liked. And some of the cool things I liked about the death day party is like, they made the the food rot and be as moldy and smelly as nasty as possible. So when the ghosts go through it, they can almost taste it because like the, the, the nastiness is almost decayed and dead of the food is just like them. So they can almost taste the food. thought that was pretty cool. Then the guys coming in like jerks upstaging nearly headless Nick's birthday party by playing headless polo mean people messing up his <laughs> his little his little birthday or death day party so that sucked for nearly how this nick but the death day party was really cool got to hear the screechy music we meet moaning myrtle for the first time there so a lot of things kind of happen in that little area now on page 138 and 139 two big things happen we see on the wall written the chamber of secrets has been reopened right and he was the enemy enemies of the air beware and then we see Mrs. Norris is the first victim that petrified. And then to follow up where I, we're talking about the quick spell book, this is where you find out that Argus Filch is a squib. And then Ron kind of tells us what a squib is later on than that. It's basically the opposite of a muggle-born wizard. So you know how parent, like Hermione's parents are both muggles and somehow she came out a witch? It's the exact opposite, like two which is like a witch and a wizard had a baby, and it came out like a muggle with no magical ability. So, that's what that is. Uh, page one fifty 150 to one fifty two. Professor Binns tells the class about the Chamber of Secrets legend, which is kind of cool because Professor Binns never does anything fun. He he's been all the way through these book series. He's like the boring teacher that you try to sleep through his class. He's the ghost that like was so boring he didn't even know he died. He just walked up from his body and like went through the wall and kept teaching. So. I thought it was pretty cool that he told us a little bit about the Chamber of Secrets there. Uh, We find out on page 154 that Ron hates spiders. Page 159, we learn about the Polyjuice Potion and what it does. Page 162, uh, they swindle Lockhart into giving them permission to take out the book from the Restricted section. Like Hermione just gasses him up. The the Most Potent Potions was the name of the book, and he just signs off on that permission (laughs) slip. So...
1: Sure, if you want to, if it's gonna help you with werewolves, yeah, like if you,
0: if it's gonna help you understand my book, Hermione, of course I'll let you do that. Not a problem at all. And uh, so now I'm gonna read off two in this book because on page 165 we get to learn the ingredients of the Polyjuice Potion. and I think that's really cool. Uh, lacewing flies, leeches, fluxweed, and not grass. Also powdered horn of bicorn, shredded skin of a bloom slang. And a bit of whoever they want to change into. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, then at page 168, this is where we have like that rogue bludger start, like the rogue bludger during the Quidditch match. Basically, during this point in time, Harry has got to play Quidditch match while being non-stop targeted by something that is trying to take his head off. <laughs> like this yeah. this large like metal ball is trying to incapacitate him. And he's got to play a sport while this is happening in the air flying on brooms. But we all know what happens. He still ends up catching the snitch. I thought that was awesome. It was a little bit different in the in the movie than in the book because in the book it made Malfoy look really stupid because Malfoy was laughing and he caught it by his ear. And that's why he's like, you know, it was right in front of you. His captain, Marcus Flint, was telling Malfoy, like, it was it was right by your head. Like, what the heck were you doing? <laughs> and so Harry literally beat Malfoy on a lesser broom. Remember, Malfoy's got a Nimbus 2001. Harry's got a Nimbus 2000. And he had a broken arm and had to catch it with his arm. He like, so... He just more talented than Malfoy. I just had to bring that out because I thought that was cool. And then we get 173. Uh, Professor Lockhart removes Harry's bones from his arm because he's an idiot and can't actually do magic right. So, So Gilderoy Lockhart, we see him fail again for the second time. And pages 174 through 175, we hear about Skelligrow in the uh, hospital wing. Basically, Madame Pomfrey has got to regrow his whole arm structure of the bones, the skeletal system, in there, and that's kind of nasty. And then page 176, Dobby reappears, and we actually learn he's the one that bewitched the Bludger and sealed the barrier at Platform nine and three quarters. And while he's in the hospital wing, they see Dumbledore and McGongle bring somebody else who's been petrified. We've got the third, or I'm sorry, the second attack. It's been uh, Colin Creevy, the person who was taking pictures of Harry. He was the next victim, petrified. And then to close out the chapter of the Rogue Bludger, Dumbledore says out loud, "The Chamber of Secrets is open once more." And that's what I have from the beginning of when they start at Hogwarts, the favorite moments down to the end of the Rogue Bludger. I'll let you take away your favorite moments from that time period. Then we'll go into the rest of them
1: yeah man that was awesome you went through that really fast <laughs> that was good stuff <laughs> efficiency it, yeah man um, but actually so i got uh starting right where they get off at the whomping uh whomping willow or yeah whomping, whomping willow yeah yep. always want to be like the whopping willow <laughs> do the wall <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I always mix that one up with the Dougie too. Yeah, never, never take Chase to the club. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, it reminded me of another song we banned on the show. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh gosh. Mary. Oh gosh. Yeah.
1: Don't worry. <laughs> Loosen up my buttons, baby. Uh. That's the new version. But uh, what was uh, so? His name's Argus Filch in this one, but he reminds me so much of who he played in Game of Thrones. What was his name there? Oh, Walter I don't Frey. Know what his name was. What was his name? Walter Alder Frey. Frey. Yeah. That's right. So it was a little bit different in the books. I like the way it was better in the books, but I do want to bring this one little part up of the film. Cause I did think this was really funny in the film. Harry and Ron get there in the film. This isn't in the books. And he's just sitting there. He's like, well, 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 let's take a good look. Lads. This night might be the last night you spend in the castle oh dear 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 we are in trouble <laughs> <laughs> he always plays the creep man yeah i don't know what it is about that guy but i swear every tryout he has they're like okay there you are we <laughs> went and went to the bottom of the list with the outcast characters he was just creepy i do want to bring this up too because you brought up the quick uh, quick spell right is that yep. how you say it so, there's a deleted scene, and it is uh, it is true, because I had to go on, um, luckily I was able to have some of the Blu-rays, and you can go to, like, the extra features to see it, or you can go on YouTube, uh, go on YouTube, um, there was a deleted scene that was removed, all it is, and it really makes sense why it was removed, because, like, it makes sense no sense the way they did this, but he actually, when they arrive, he drops a quick spell envelope, out of his jacket and then Harry picks it up and hands it to him and he kind of like freaks out and that was removed from that part of the scene there so I thought that was pretty cool gotcha. um, typical you know of course they removed that because I mean it's it's the movie <laughs> of course um but I do want to say that the cool part is like you know my boy Snape man when he pulls him into the office is why the book was so much better um so Snape pulls him into the office and he's just like giving the I gotta it. it's giving him shit. Like I hate to say that word, but he is. Giving and him the business. Snape, <laughs> Snape is the man, dude. He was like Uh he so Snape lets the boys into the office, right? And he goes, So the train isn't good enough for the famous Harry Potter and his faithful sidekick, Weasley. Wanted to arrive with a bang, did we boys? Like I was just like, wow. <laughs> it even goes to far as far as keep in mind, this is a professor. Like a guy that's supposed to be treating students with respect and faithful sidekick, Weasley. And they were like, No, sir, it was the barrier. And King's cross Silence said Snape coldly, what have you done with the car? And then it just kinda keeps going on from there. But I just thought it was so funny how he just immediately with sarcasm. And then you had One big thing was cool. McGonagall came in shortly right after that. And remember that Ron, his big thing he wanted to see was see his sister get sorted into Gryffindor, right? And um, so, I mean, I I get it. Like, I mean, it was kind of, you gotta have some cojones to say this when you're in that situation. It's kind of like when they just did a bunch of layoffs at work and they're like, you're like, but I'm still getting my raise, right? Like, that's still happening. And um, so McGonagall appears and she says, why didn't you just send us a letter by owl, first of all? So, like, why didn't you just think of that? Like, think outside the box, which that's honestly, like, I would have been like any kid just taking the car and thought immediately, like, of course, like an owl's not going to work if a platform nine and three quarters is closed. Like, why would I even think of that? And, uh, McGonagall, what ha- what winds up happening here is, um, you know, of course, Harry interacts with Dumbledore, and he's, you know, he's- he's pretty pissed, just like you were saying. So you kind of get that sense of, like, wow, as a child, you just totally let your parents down. <laughs> like, that's what I had felt like during the scene. Um, but the biggest one I wanted to pull out here, um, was when- Ron goes, Professor. I wanted to watch my sister being sorted. She goes, the sorting ceremony is over. Said Professor McGonagall, "Your sister is also in Gryffindor." When we took, Professor, when we took the car, it hadn't started. So, so Gryffindor should, should really, shouldn't have points taken from it, should it? <laughs> he finished <started> watching anxiously, <laughs> and Professor McGonagall gave him a piercing look, but he was sure she had almost smiled. Her mouth looked less thin, anyways. I will not take any points away from Gryffindor," she said, and Harry's heart lightened considerably. But you will both be getting detention, and then um, what happens is then Ron goes. Um, basically, what happens is remember, Ron was asking like about their food, like they were hungry, and the feast was going on, and she like conjured up some sandwiches, and she was like. You can eat that in here. Like, you are not going back in there. This, the ceremony's over. You're not going in there. You can eat this right in here in Snape's office with all the nasty cauldron potions. And it looks like a dungeon. So this is my screw, you guys. I'm going to be nice, but you're going to eat this right in here. And you're going to miss the ceremony. So enjoy. Uh, then to my favorite chapter, like we were talking about, our boy Lockhart, baby, with the Tixies, man. That was great. You know what I kept singing to myself? I wanna swing from the chandelier. That was our boy Neville. I wanna fly like the birds in the night. That's what Neville was doing, baby. Felt so bad for him, man. Um, it felt so bad for him and I gotta say this in the film this was probably one of my favorite moments in the film because the film didn't have a lot of great moments for me honestly but I did like what Gildo Lockhart said in the film when he was prepping him up for these pixies Like he was like let me introduce you to your new defense against the dark arts teacher me Gildoey Lockhart, Order of Merlin, third class, honorary member of the Dark Force Defense League, and five times winner of the Witch Weekly's Most Charming Smile Award. But I don't talk about that. I didn't get rid of the and Banshee by smiling at him. <laughs> yeah, well, creatures, um, you know, uh, they're known to wizard kind. And you may find yourself facing your worst fears in this room, and know only that no harm can befall you, whilst I am here. I must ask you not to scream. It might provoke them, and he reveals the cage. And then, of course, you have uh, Seamus uh, Finnegan, or what's his name? Seamus. Seamus. Shem- That's right. Yeah, you're always the best of names. He was like laughing at him, he was like, ha ha, cornish pixies, corn. And then, uh, of course Lockhart goes, Mr. Finnegan. But pixies can be devilish, tricky little, tricky little blighters. Let's see what you make of them. <laughs> like pulls the cage out and they just go everywhere, man. And I loved it even more in the book, but one thing that was really cool in the film, uh, like, the Fixies, after they take Neville up by the ears and he just can't break free, they cut that dragon skeleton chandelier thing down. And I was like, that is awesome. In the book, they entirely, I'll say, because you know I'm a completely guy, not today, not today. What do you say to the completely word, not today. <laughs> he loses his wand and, like, doesn't know what to do. And, um... That's when, uh, uh, over here, flipping on my page here because I skipped the Howler, but yeah, it was just out of control. And remember, the funniest part was after all this is going down, he was basically like, you don't mind, you know, cleaning him up for me, do you? <laughs> like, you're fu- after you can't do anything, he tries to cast that spell, and it just wasn't working at all. Um, in the Howler, which was really cool, Uh, I do want to say, because it was just reminding me of like, my dad used to always say, you can make your dad mad, but if you made your mom mad, you really messed up. (laughs) Like, now you've done messed up bad. And I I would be so petrified of that howler man. Even worse was it was even more descriptive. In the book because it burst into flames whereas like not to bring up so many differences but just in the movie it just kind of turned into shreds right but she said stealing the car i wouldn't have been surprised if they expelled you you want you wait till i get a hold of you and i don't suppose you stop to think what your father and i went through bringing up what we went through card right and we saw it was gone and then she yells like super loud right It describes her as screaming so loud it was echoing off the stone walls. Um, And she goes, Letter from Dumbledore last night. I thought your father would die of shame. We didn't bring you up to behave like this. Oh, that's the guilt part. Oh, I feel so bad. You and Harry could have both died. And then absolutely disgusted. Your father is facing an inquiry at work. And it's entirely your fault. And if you put another toe out of line, we'll bring you straight back home. Like, imagine that in front of everybody, too. Which is just even worse. That would just... On top of the embarrassment, you would just feel ultimate shame. Is what I would feel on that. So, that definitely stuck out to me. Um... I did think the the Mandrake thing scene was really cool. Uh, Just even in the film, as far as how cool they kind of looked, that was one of my favorite parts, because they looked like little demon babies. They looked like if uh, demonic Pillsbury Doughboys popped out of a plant, (laughs) then you had to replant them, man. That's what those things look like. Um, and, And the book was so descriptive on it, it said... It described, like, how grotesque they smelled as well. Not to mention, of course, you know, like, you even went into a little bit, you know, of course, the screams were deathly detrimental. But in the book, it even says it kept cackling and sparking at all the odd moments. And every time Rodden tried to transfigure his beetle and engulfed him in a thick gray smoke and smelled like rotten eggs. Like, that's disgusting um and then another uh scene that wasn't a really big scene and actually this scene here was actually deleted from the movie so i, I looked that up um but it's actually one of my favorite scenes just because i'm such a big walk art fan Colin Creevy, uh he's introduced not too long before this and he's like so addicted to harry like he's trying to get a picture with harry And Lockhart just, like, butts in the way, making the whole show about him, man. And Harry was so, like, nonchalant about it. At first, he was even, like, a picture? Um, So, and then, you know, Colin was like, so I can prove I met you. um, Eagerly edging further forward. And Draco was just being a complete ass. And was like, Weasley would like a signed photo potter. It'll be worth more than his family's whole house. <laughs> like, that's so messed up. Thinking lowest is the low. And then Lockhart comes in and he's like, Who's giving out signed photos? And Harry started to speak, but there was a cut short as Lockhart's arm was already going right around his shoulders. And he goes, You shouldn't have asked. We meet again, Harry. And then, uh, pinned to Lockhart's side and burning with humiliation, Harry saw Malfoy slide smirking back into the crowd.
0: Come on then, Mr. Creavy. Dude, did Lockhart. you, like, read just, like, write down the whole book? Did like, you just write, oh, did yeah. you just, oh, you dude, just, like, yeah. transcribe the whole chapter?
1: <laughs> Cause I'm a Lockhart fan, baby. I'm a Lockhart Golly. fan.
0: Golly.
1: Yeah. Anyways. And he just goes, a uh, double portrait. Can't do better than that, and we'll both sign it for you. I only wrote down all the lock art ones.
0: So I just right? thought it was funny because we're like, like, when we started like bullet points, and then Chase's like, "No, I will not do bullet points. I will read the whole chapter to you." Oh, uh, don't get me
1: wrong. I have a lot of bullet points, but when it came to lock art, I had <laughs> 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 Yeah, don't worry. I'll clean this up for you. But anyways, um, basically what happens there is you know, um. <laughs> the funny part was when Lockhart was like there you go off you go move along here like not even what Colin was wanting and Lockhart called to the crowd and then he set back off uh, to the castle with Harry and when he was on uh way back to the castle with Harry he goes a word to the wise Harry said Lockhart paternally as they entered the building through the side door I covered up for you back there you know with young creed Uh, I mean, it was his photographing me uh, to your schoolmates. But, you know, you don't want people to think you're setting yourself up so much. (laughs) And then he goes on to basically be like, you know, you're not quite there yet. And just stole the show is basically what happened. Um, But anyways, uh, so the next thing that really stuck out to me from there was... Uh, I mean, of course, I got a lot of Gilder Lockhart things. Not to keep bringing him up, but he gave them a pop quiz and it was all about him. Pretty much every single question on it. And of course, Hermione aced it, but I just thought that was really cool. Not to read it a quote, but I thought it was cool. Um, and of course, you know, we had the Pixies things that did happen. Um, from there, right, I do think the um, we were talking about the I always say salamanders is that what they were salamanders things or something when so basically what happened was you know we have that foul word that's used from that pureblood draco malfoy um and they were slugs. sorry so that's what they were yeah and ron gets really offended here which this goes into a foreshadowing moment but uh, we won't talk about that but you know, Ron really sticks up for Hermione here. And this really goes into social justice issues today, too, as far as, like, you know, how people think they're better than others and stuff, which isn't right. Um, But, you know, he calls Hermione a mudblood, which, in the book, she doesn't even really know what it means, which I found really annoying in the film. She just suddenly knew what that meant (laughs) all of a sudden, right? But, you know, Ron... Um, pulled out his wand and plunged his hands to his robes and he was saying you're going to pay for that one Malfoy and pointed it furiously um, at Malfoy's face and with a loud bang echoed around the stadium a jet green light shot out of Ron's wand and hit back at him it basically flung back because of that wand that snapped in half and then yeah, another foreshadowing moment you know she really cares about him she's like Ron Ron Are you alright, squealed Hermione, and Ron opened his mouth, and that's when he had that moment. It was disgusting. He was belching these several slugs at a time, and, like, I felt so bad for him, because the Slytherin team was just dying with laughter. Like, the guy that talks all that shit, (laughs) it all just came back on him? I felt so bad for him. And they all had those brand new broomsticks, so it's like, they... Very sad because they kept getting the last of the laugh. Like Ron just couldn't win against Malfoy, man. And Malfoy had all the all the burns, man. Sick burn, baby, sick burn. Um, and uh, you know, of course, then they go to Hagrid's where they were talking about the Mudblood thing, and um, Ron is really who brings it up and stuck up for Hermione and said it was bad, mostly. Yeah, as he's throwing up these slugs Gee, you
0: you did he wrote down everything thing you wrote down the whole chapter <laughs> did
1: not i didn't even quote for quote man yeah, yeah. didn't Jeez. even quote for quote um but uh you know that's basically what happened there um but uh you know this is where hermione actually says but i don't know what it means and he said, I could tell it was really rude, of course, but it's about the most insulting thing he could ever think of uh, Gasparon as he was coming back up for air. Because um, I always back everything up with quotes. But basically, a mudblood, which you all, I'm sure, know. Uh, or if you haven't listened to Harry Potter, it's just people with non-magic. So, really, the most foul term you can even think of there. Um, next one there, I guess it goes into, I did, maybe I jumped it, uh, maybe I'm thinking, no, this is at the death day party. Yes, yeah, so this is right there. Uh, this was my favorite chapter, <clears throat> um, but the biggest thing that stuck out to me here that I thought was really cool was, you know, Nicholas, uh, uh, sir sort of headless, nearly headless Nick kept trying to join the headless hunt, but they wouldn't let him join it because... You know, he had one inch left, is basically what happened. Um, and, you know, he even said, I mean, nobody wishes me more than I do, that it had all been quick and clean and my head had come off properly. I mean, it would have saved me a great deal of pain and ridicule. However, nearly headless Nick should have shook his letter open and read furiously, we can only accept huntsmen whose heads have parted company with their bodies. You will appreciate that it would be impossible otherwise for members to participate in the hunt activities such as horseback, head juggling, and head, pal- head polo. It is with the greatest regret, therefore, that I must inform you, you do not fulfill our requirements with the very best wishes, Sir Patrick Delaney Podmore. And um, then, you know, after this, you that's when you had Filch's office that you were talking about with the chains. Um, and then from there, I did want to say the Death Day party was really cool. It reminded me of kind of like the Haunted Mansion, right? Where you had like the ghosts there and that sort of thing. Um, that would be really cool to actually see in Universal Studios. Um, and then of course you had, you know, like the Bloody Baron and stuff was there. And that's actually the first time we run into Pony a Um, but, uh, from there because I don't want to bore you with my quotes. Get back to my bullet points. Um, uh, This is when, you know, Harry was hearing the voice when they left the death day party. Um, And, you know, we'll bring up differences later from the film and the book, but it says, rip, tear, and kill. Uh, which I'll bring up a book uh, difference, major difference in um, the movie. But he keeps hearing that over and over. And this was actually when he was in Lockhart's office signing his fan mail for him because they were in detention. And remember Ron was polishing off the trophies. Um, And, you know, it was just really... It was really downplayed, I would say, in the film. In the book... It was uh, very intense, um, to the point of it was even, like, shared blood and everything. And then, you, remember, he you followed it up, um, found that message where it even says, the Chamber of Secrets has been opened, enemies of the air beware. And, um, yeah, and that's when they were like, what's that thing underneath? And that's when they noticed uh, Miss Norris was hanging there, um, petrified and, you know, Argus Filch is is freaking out at that moment. Um, But uh, then, at this time, that's when I wrote down... We had uh, a... Well, I do want to say this, because Snape kind of sticks up for them at the moment. He does say, Potter and his friends may have been in the wrong place at the wrong time. uh, To Argus Filch. But, then he says, but we do have a set of suspicions, circumstances here. Why was he in the upstairs corridor at all? Why wasn't he at the Halloween festivities? Do you think Snape was actually sticking up for them in this moment? Or do you think he was
0: really... No, he's trying to get him in trouble.
1: Mmm. It's debatable, but I can see that. Um... From here, I would say, uh, one thing that really did stick out, which goes into differences later, is Professor Benz, and this is going to be in a, a big plot hole, biggest plot hole I have, um, but, you know, this was a really, scene that really stuck out to me, and they were asking, you know, Granger... Hermione kept pestering him about the Chamber of Secrets, and he really didn't want to go into it, and he said, "'My subject is history of magic,' he said in a dry, wheezy voice. "'I deal with facts, Miss Granger, not myths and legends,' he cleared his throat with a small noise. "'Like chalk, snapping,' continued. "'In September of the year, a subcommittee of Sordination sorcery,' and then she kept pestering him about it, and then he said, "'All right, well, well, yes, one could argue that, I suppose,' It could lead to hearing what the factual history is based on the legend. Well, um, that's when he told them, you know, that it was based on the monster and, you know, Salazar Slytherin wanted to keep them as purebloods um, and that the monster would actually go purge them, so that really stuck out. Um, from here, I would say, I guess, I guess this is really when we go into the rogue bludgers, I would say. Um, but you also have that moment, too. Remember, um, Harry keeps thinking about the sorting hat and whether or not like, he actually put him in the right house. So that's a big moment that comes up later. Um, and then the most potent potions. Um, that's actually in my interesting facts but for um, kind of what's in that book, which is really cool. But one thing that really stuck out to me here for the Polydris potion book was that it even had very gruesome, like you could see why it was actually in the restricted restricted section. I had one person with their insides actually turned inside out, um, or the witches that had the arms coming out of their heads um, and, uh, I do want to say the Polyabuse Potion, it was really definitely more descriptive in the books. They just very kind of downplayed it in the movie. Like, they just kind of dropped their glasses, which was a difference. And they were like, oh, that's nasty. But in the book, it was even changing color. Um... And, you know, like you were saying, the ingredients were really hard to get. But remember, they were writhing on the floor in pain, is what they were doing. And Well, at um, that
0: point in time, they hadn't taken it yet. They were just starting to make it.
1: Yeah, because we haven't gotten that far yet. Um, but uh, the bludger scene, I would say, was really cool in the film because it did... I like the cool part where I guess they were going underneath the stadium, right? Um, but, once again, it was definitely a lot cooler in the books. Because, first of all, that game was in the rain. And then you did have Fred and George that were trying to defend off the bludger at the same time. So that was pretty awesome. Um, and Malfoy was, like, trash-talking him the whole time. Like, training for Ballet Potter! Um and then, you know, the snitch was going right by him, and you didn't even see it. And the biggest thing that was really cool about the book was, remember, you had that intense moment where he was trying to grab the snitch and dodge the bludger at the same time. And the bludger hit him in the elbow, and that's really what broke his arm. It wasn't like in the movie where he just fell off. Like, he just falls off the broom, and you're going to break your arm over that. Um, so that really stuck out to me, I would say. Um, But it says, you know, through a haze of rain and pain, he dived for the shimmering face below him and saw its eyes widen with fear. Malfoy thought Harry was attacking him. What the? Gasped, As he saw Harry coming his way, Harry took the remaining hand off his broom and made a wild snatch. He felt his fingers close on the cold snitch, but now only gripping the broom with its legs. And there was a yell from the crowd below as he headed straight for the ground, trying not to pass out. With a splattering thud, he hit the mud and rolled off his broom. His arm was hanging at a very strange angle, riddled with pain. He heard, as though from a distance, a good deal of whistling and shouting. He focused on the snitch clutched in his hand. Uh, And then, of course, Lockhart, you know, he was like... (laughs) Even Harry was like, no, not you. Like, don't try to fix this. And he cast that spell. um, (laughs) And all the bones were removed, but he said, well... I mean, the biggest thing is you're not in pain, and, you know, <laughs> there, you know, no reason to mend the bones because now you don't have them, and that happens sometimes, so that really stuck out to me there, but that was basically the biggest thing that stuck out, and then creepy, of course, like you were saying, um, that's a big moment uh, because they place him on the hospital bed right next to Harry in the middle of the night when he's going through all that pain remember they said it felt like splinters all through the night as the bones were regrowing and then, you know, Dumbledore um, confirms uh, basically here that there is a chamber of secrets um, you know, and they open up the camera and it, it vanishes, so there's only one kind of monster that can do that um, and not to read you the quote there, but yeah, they, they, or Madame Ponfrey is like, what happened when Dumbledore was like another attack? Minerva found him on the stairs. There was a bunch of grapes next to him, said Professor McGonagall We think he will, um, we think he lies, he was lying there trying to sneak up on par. Um, but the biggest quote here, just like you were saying was um, Double Lore says it means that the Chamber of Secrets is indeed open once again. Um, And then, uh, you know, McGonagall says, but Albus, surely who? The question is not who, said Double Lore. His eyes on Colin, the question is how. And from what Harry could see of Professor McGonagall's shadowy face, she didn't understand this any better than he did. Um, and then you, of course, right before that, you had Dobby that came to visit, which you find out all the information. And it was him that closed the platform. Um, it was him that started the bludger. And, you know, Harry's pretty pissed at uh, this moment. Um, but it's all for a good reason, because he's trying to prevent Harry from what's to come. So, and I'll let you take it away from here.
0: Cool. Yeah. So what I'll do now is I'll go ahead and... ...do the foreshadowed events from the start of Hogwarts to the end of the chapter for Rogue Bludgers. It's great. I don't have a ton here. Um, just small things. I'll just bullet point for everybody. In page 79, he, Harry said that this wasn't the first time Snape had given Harry the impression of being able to read minds. So that was actually a huge foreshadow moment that comes up later on in uh, book 5. Going into page 82, Harry and Ron receive a detention... And both detentions come up big later in this book because Harry hears a voice in his detention and Ron sees a name on the trophy that he's cleaning. So those come up really big later on. Page 90. It's the first of many times we see Lockhart unsolicitedly trying to help and give advice to teachers. This, this time is when he was trying to tell Professor Sprout how to take care of the Whomping Willow. And then the second time is when he's trying to tell uh, Hagrid I uh, give a Hagrid advice on like the care of magical creatures. So that was one part there that I put in page 94, Justin Finch Fletchley informs Harry, Ron and Hermione that he's in fact muggle born. That's super important later on in this book because of everything that happens, including Justin. In uh, pages 92 to 94, this is where the mandrakes come in. I put this in my foreshadowed events instead of my favorite moments, because the whole point of the book kind of resonates right here with these plants like when it ends nothing could be possible without this so i thought that this was a really big foreshadowed event and that's why i put it there um page 96 we meet colin creevy and he's a foreshadowed event not only just for later on what happens to him in this book but he also comes up in uh book seven as well page 97 before ron ever like cursed or tried to use his wand against malfoy this is when he was just arguing with him in a separate scene he says eat slugs malfoy and the reason why i say that's a foreshadow is because eventually in you know a little bit from here he does try to curse malfoy and it's almost a uh, it, it ends up backfiring on him so page 103 this was uh I thought this was a, a foreshadow because Hermione and Ron kind of argue about Professor Lockhart. Hermione says, you've read his books. Look at all the amazing things he's done. And Ron replies, things he says he's done. So that's a big foreshadow for uh Gilderoy Lockhart. Big, well, that's one of the bigger foreshadows of the book. Honestly, uh, page 114. I was talking about Lockhart, ignoring Hagrid, this annoying Hagrid. This is the, like, the second moment where he unsolicitedly helps teachers. And then, you know, he when he's talking poorly about Lockhart, that's when Hermione kind of gets offended. And, like, she's like, well, Dumbledore wouldn't have hired him if he wasn't the best person for the job. And Hagrid's like, he was the only person <laughs> that would take this job. So, mm-hmm. and I mean the only person. And so, uh, then p- the page 120, I know I mentioned it in my favorite moments, but this is also a foreshadow event, is when Harry hears the voice in the walls for the first time. And then... Page one twenty one, Ron actually tells Harry what he was polishing in his detention in the room. There is a special award for services to the school. The name hasn't come up yet, but the trophy itself makes an appearance right here. When Ron said he he was stuck, he puked up slugs and had spent an hour repolishing the special award for services to the school trophy. Uh, Page one twenty two, Ginny looking pale. And like before, like the pepper, like they were talking about the pepper up thing, and Percy wanted her to go get that because she thought. Percy thought she was happy, like, being sick from like the common stuff, but we know exactly why Ginny's pale here, because it was right after something happened, right? Uh, the quick spell book is a foreshadow when we learn a little bit about what squibs are. Page 128, the, the cabinet that Peeves crashed above Filch's office was the vanishing cabinet, and that's super important later on. Uh, page 132, moaning myrtle haunts a toilet she's gonna come up multiple times throughout the series so that's the first time you see like like, especially specifically the toilet part is really big here for this book because the bathroom itself then page 137 harry hears a voice for the second time and that was right after the death day party when they find mrs norris's body and then in page 146 just nine pages later jenny weasley seemed very disturbed by mrs norris's fate that's a foreshadow as well page 154 spiders behaving strangely uh that's a foreshadow for later on uh when we get into the spiders part page 155 uh they enter moaning myrtle's bathroom uh the reason why i put that there is because there's a lot of things they do in morning myrtle's bathroom not only now but also later on and she comes up big in other books page 159 we hear about the polyjuice potion for the first time and this is huge because of book four specifically uh was a lot going on with the polyjuice potion in book four the goblet of fire and then lastly i have between hogwarts to the end of rogue bludger it was to your point where you were talking about dumbledore and you know when mcgonagall asks what does this mean and he says the question is not who the question is how so my thing is it's like, is a foreshadow because like, Dumbledore kind of already knew. Who, he said it's not about who because he knew somehow but I don't think we were supposed to catch that like when he said that who it was behind it the whole time. So again, Dumbledore always a step ahead even though he doesn't take action ever. It's just interesting like, how brilliant he is. And that's the last foreshadowed event I have for today from the start of Hogwarts to the end of Rogue Bludger. What foreshadow events do you got over there?
1: Uh, I mean, you hit, actually, really close to most of mine. One I pretty much already mentioned, um, besides the ones you mentioned, was just when Hermione was sticking up for Ron after he shot out, you know, he was really sticking up for her. And it was basically like, eat slugs, Malfoy, and then back for it, fired, and she was like, Ron! Ron! Are you alright? And, like, she was the first one to run back over to him, like, it wasn't hairy or anything. So that foreshadows what's to come in about six, you know, what, five years from now? <laughs> five years from now. Um, other than that, so correct me if this is, if we're not there yet, but Hagrid, um, Lockhart visited Hagrid at one point. Um, are are we there yet? That yep. Be... Yep. Yep. That's You're oh, really yeah, good. Yeah. Yep. That's what I thought. Um, but Hagrid said, uh, they, you know, they were asking what Lockhart was doing there. And Hagrid said, giving me advice on getting me kelpies out of the well, growled Hagrid, moving half-thick rooster off his uh, skirtled table and settling down the teapot. Like, I don't know, a, a banging about some banshee he banished. So he was talking about the, <laughs> the banshee ban- the banished banshee or whatever he always brings up. But it was basically foreshadowing... Uh, what you'll find out about him later, which a lot of people listening to this podcast um, already know about, so that's that's what I had for foreshadowing. Sometimes,
0: awesome. And what's crazy is for the possible plot holes and discrepancies from Hogwarts to like the um, the the rogue bludger. I only got one, and that was one I've brought up very briefly uh, two weeks ago in part one of *Sorcerer's Stone*. Is Ron's wand issues because remember we talked about like Hagrid's yeah. wand was snapped in half and it was put like and he's got it in the umbrella which we find out in this book right so hagrid right. doesn't ever have any issues using his wand but ron's who's is broken and like they put it together with spello tape he's got an issue with every single spell he tries to do so why i think that's a plot hole is like why is it hagrid can use it with a, a, a actually broken wand and ron's won't do a single thing like, I don't, I don't know how you, you justify, it, it, it should be both. Like, Hagrid's wand shouldn't work, or Ron's wand should work. Like, how is it, like, Hagrid's is okay, but Ron's is like, nope, can't do a thing.
1: However, then, Ron, didn't he, they said he bounded it with spellbound tape? Yeah, so spell-o-tape. Basically like, scotch tape, though. So the core is basically crushed in half, so I could see that, versus if Hagrid but- just...
0: If it's it snapped off. in half, his, his core's gone too, Hagrid's. Like, you know, if they, if they snapped your wand in half and, like, there's two pieces of a wand, that core ain't intact either.
1: Right. But I would think of it more of like a sawed off shotgun. Like, it still works better, just, to, I guess, a why not as accurate, right? Versus Ron's is just in the middle, like, can't function. Like, you're better off cutting that end off, I would assume, which is why it keeps rebounding because it's trying to shoot through that core it gets really nerdy but that's what i would imagine it's doing so every time he's pointing that wand and shooting the spell it's just acting like a reflector glass <laughs> it's, it's it's the mirror of Set man it's just showing him what he wants to see <laughs> right back at him so i don't know i mean that that's
0: it's so, like for damaged ones yeah like if we're damaged ones it should be universal all the way around mm-hmm. if like you know because if that's the case then ron could have just like split the thing in half and just use the end of it like mm-hmm. a like a like a short pencil you know what i mean <laughs> like yeah, i don't i don't exactly. know um that's another thing too about like the plot hole is like when the wand chooses a wizard like that we talked about that in sorcerer's stone like when ron gets a new one like where that off but anyways that's the only thing i had for possible plot holes in that part did you have any in that part from hogwarts to the rogue bludger
1: yeah i did what what um, you got which this goes back to so the two big quotes i was reading there which josh goes off of me because i do go on a tangent on my quotes and then get carried away really quick (laughs) um but the two and one i'll reread because it's a big part of my interesting facts but this is why here when i was telling you about flitwick reminding you of what you already know um on you know he was telling the story uh you know basically the founders of hogwarts and how Salazar Slytherin, um, you know, he, he wanted to purge everyone under pure blood, and they disagreed. Which, that goes into my interesting facts, too, I'll tell you about. But here's the plot hole. Major plot hole. Literally could tear this whole book apart. Like, this book wouldn't exist. This entire series wouldn't exist, this is how big of a plot hole this is. Quote, in quote, from <laughs> Professor Flitwick. And this is also said... By McGonagall, <laughs> which is in the film. So this tears this entire series up. How do you explain this? Sorry, not uh, Flitwick. This is Professor Benz. So remember, in the book, it's Professor Benz. Remember when I was talking about yep. Professor Benz? He's the mm-hmm. ghost. Um, but yeah, he says, The story goes that Slytherin had built a hidden chamber, quote-unquote, in the castle in which the founders knew nothing. The founders knew nothing, and you never told anybody. How does anyone even know about this? Like, how did it even get brought up 50 years ago, or even before that? Because everyone's saying, according to Professor Benz, the ghost, which I'll tell you a little bit more about him. my interesting facts for one sentence. But, like, how would anyone even know that this is some legend that's been (laughs) occurring the years? Because when he left, apparently he never told any of the founders and they're saying they looked for years and no one could find it. So how would that exist?
0: Well, correct me if I'm wrong. They all taught students, right? Every single one of them. Students, right. so it's it's plausible that Siller may not have told the founders but it could have been rumors throughout the students until the one who was his hair or his era sorry you know came to figure out how to do it so it could be like one of them dirty little rumors kind of like rowena wave ravenclaw's diadem okay like you know yeah. all the founders don't know where that is but like you know the go the one ghost but i just think that might be it um because he was very selective about his uh house only pure bloods you know, he was kind of distanced himself from the other founders. So to me, it's almost like he would care more about the students he handpicked and letting them know about a secret. Like, Hey, like I'm going to be, I'm going to be leaving this school, but you know, whoever comes after me, whoever's my true heir, I got, you know, I got something secret. Like you, you can try to figure it out. And then that way, number one, he'll figure out who his true heir is. Number two, that person will, you know, find some sort of prominence and figure out the secret of the chamber. So that's what I would say is that he probably imparted some sort of knowledge of it, or at least the root started the rumor amongst the students. And then it just kind of grew from there.
1: Yeah, I, I could see that. That, that makes sense. My biggest problem was originally is I was like, you know, these are supposed to be the four greatest, witch witches and wizards that ever lived. And he never told anybody and you never found it for years. Like, I mean, if they didn't know, but I mean, I, I get your point. That makes sense. If it was like a rumor, just kind
0: of sliding around yeah and just over his students only like like because like i said he was so specific about and like selective of his like purebreds like you know he thought they were better than probably even the founders like no no we're like we are we are our own family like screw them it's just slytherin against the world and he probably you know mentioned something about it and then you know when i leave this castle you know i have you know there's a secret uh, i've hidden here and though who is my real heir will find it you know something like that you know what i mean and that's probably yeah,
1: let me okay i can see that That that's debatable it didn't set me off <laughs> for when i first saw it i was like what <laughs> i was like you serious right now but okay that makes sense so then i didn't really have any problems i can see that i can buy it it's plausible yeah
0: say. it's plausible yeah i, I so i'm not saying that's exactly what happened or like i have got no evidence of that but that's the only thing in my mind that would make it make sense right like
1: yeah, yeah. makes sense Cool. You want do you have do any the, other
0: plot uh, holes in that or no
1: no nah, man that's that's why i was uh, big on the quotes because i knew my foreshadowing and plot holes were dwindling got to make up with my in-depth <laughs> description yeah so then i only <laughs> oh, have five yeah, points
0: of interesting facts <laughs> to put out and then you'll do your interesting facts and we'll, we'll close out for this week but uh cool, my interesting facts just number one the mandrake's cry is fatal to anyone that hears it that's awesome which is also kind of crazy yeah. because like I can almost, almost put that as a plot hole too though. Cause think about it. What if like some like terrorist wizard just like had a potted plant and ran around and went into like a big old street and pulled out the baby. And then no one is wearing earmuffs cause no one's expecting it. And all of a sudden the, the Mandrake kills a whole street. You know what I mean? Like, no, mm-hmm. one, no one gives us any sort of indication yeah. on that. That could be like a huge terrorist organization. Like people who just pull out mandrakes at random places <laughs> with like earmuffs on so it doesn't hurt them. But it kills everybody else in a certain radius. So anyways, I thought that was weird. Um, next interesting fact, page 109. When Harry was in the hospital wing, we find out... Uh, we're talk- this is talking about when... Uh, what's his name? Oliver Wood. Was talking about when Harry was in the hospital wing in the Sorcerer's Stone. They lost their worst Quidditch match in 300 years. I thought that was pretty cool. They got swamped because they were down a player and they had their worst defeat in 300 years. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, page 129 for Nearly Headless Nick's death day. That was his 500th death day party. Page 133. Nearly Headless Nick actually died October 31st. 1492 i thought that was cool on two fronts number one you know harry's parents died on halloween and so did nearly have this nick number two this is a funny old song that we learned in school and obviously we don't like this guy like this is something that we just grew up with as 90s kids but remember that song uh in 1492 columbus sailed the ocean blue yeah that so, was awesome <laughs> so that, that's that like cool you know stuff. I, I just uh, I, I noticed that, you know, the Halloween and the 1492 uh, year. I just wanted to put that up there. And then the last thing I have for interesting facts in that section between Hogwarts and, and the Rogue Bludger was just chapter 11 in the Dueling Club. This is really cool, man. The illustration of the chapter is someone floating like above a shadow. And when I read it for the very first time as a kid, and I thought about it all the way up until now, like I thought this is what it was until. Today, or not today, but this week when I read it again. Mm-hmm. That is not... I thought it was Gildroy Lockhart like getting fried from being um, shot by Snape. But it's actually not. It's actually someone else. And I didn't realize that at first. Because like it looked like I had hair, but then I looked closely at it and I figured out what it actually was and who it actually was. So, I don't know if anyone else also thought that that was Gildroy Lockhart at the picture or if I was just the only idiot... But it is, in fact, not Gildroy Lockhart at the in, in the uh, beginning of the Dueling Club. It is someone else, and I won't give it away now. But that's all I've got for interesting facts. For me, I'll let you take your interesting facts from Hogwarts to Rogue Bludger, then we'll close out for this week and preview next.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, did... And we're going to do Magical Creatures next week, right?
0: Yes. Yep. We'll do Magical Creatures when we close out next week. Just so
1: the audience knows so they don't freak out.
0: (laughs) Where's your top five? Yeah, no, we'll be doing that next week when we close out uh, Chamber of Secrets.
1: Awesome. Gotcha. Yeah, just so everyone knows. Um, So uh, um, I did... This isn't really part of our section here. It's right at the end. But the Whomping Willow. um, So you know how they talk about how it has so much history. I thought this was interesting it really doesn't have much history. The only real history it has is, so in 1971, it was built to cover up the secret passageway. Um, actually, it is even in the ministry. They really don't know much else about it. They don't even know, you know, um, how it grows and that sort of thing. And, and if it's really actually even alive. Um, that was, So I thought that was pretty cool because they act like there's so much history on that in the book. It's really not it was it was made in 1971 that's it and it covered up a secret passageway that was it um which
0: that passageway comes up huge later on but yeah
1: yeah so so that was cool that's that was that was cool um so this is what i wanted to bring up here i am going to read you this little section of just the death day party because it ties into my interesting facts this is why i did want to read that earlier but i didn't want to have to rush it so Um, because this is really cool just describing the scene it says the passageway leading to nearly headless Nick's party had been lined with candles too though the effect was far from cheerful these were long thin jet black tapers all burning bright blue casting a dim ghostly light even over their own living faces the temperature dropped with every step they took as Harry shivered and drew his robes tightly around him he heard what sounded like a thousand fingernails scraping an enormous blackboard. Worse than chalkboard. Ugh. A whole nails on chalkboard. Is that supposed to be music? Ron whispered. They turned a corner and saw nearly headless Nick standing at a doorway, hung with black velvet drapes. My dear friends, he said mournfully. Welcome. Welcome. So pleased you could come. The reason I say that is because at this party... The biggest thing he was trying to do was give this speech. And because of the headless hunt, he could never get it off. And what's crazy about this speech, I actually wrote it in my notes, kind of like the Daenerys speech. because.
0: Oh, I thought you were going to say, like, Logan from, or not Logan, um, uh, Lee from Westworld. I thought you were going to say, because remember, he didn't get to finish his speech. <laughs> I thought that was what you were going to say, man. I mean,
1: that's true. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> that, is, that is true. Yeah. Didn't get to finish the speech, but, um, here's the interesting fact. The speech was originally in the first copy of Chamber of Secrets UK version that had ever come out, and then J.K. Rowling decided to omit it because she didn't like it there. The only place you can find this actual speech, just like I found, um, you know, that speech I gave at the end of Season 8 with Daenerys... You can only find this on Joanna Rowling's personal blog website, and it's very way back in the files. Um, But I did find it on there. I had to go through Reddit for someone that had the link to her site for it. Um, But it is really cool because what it actually does is it tells the exact story on why his head was not cut off, and that's what his speech was, and he was trying to compel it to the headless huntsman to let him in which the whole idea Joanna said wanted it in there was because it was supposed to be another employee on like, we're not letting you in, like, this isn't convincing enough. Um, so I just thought it was really cool, because this is something you'll never hear anywhere else. Um, so here's how it goes. So, first of all, the history on him real quick before he gives his speech, just so you'll understand it more, because it is kind of more in a poem line. But, um, so he attended Hogwarts, Uh, and was a member of the Gryffindor House. He was actually a member of the Royal Court, and had a a mishap with Lady Greedy, who was actually a member of King Henry VIII's court, and was a muggle, so it had nothing to do with the wizard. Um, But what happened was, after he left Hogwarts, he was trying to get in part of this muggle, more muggle environment, just because he couldn't really find a job doing anything wizardry, because I guess he wasn't good enough. But uh, what happened was he promised her, as like a dentist, he was going to do this spell that would straighten up her teeth. Well, what happened was it went wrong, and the spell actually made her start growing tusks. And during that time with King Henry VIII, she was being accused of ridicule and a witch and all this stuff. So what she did was she beheaded Sir Nicholas um, and had someone do it for her, and then she uh, Basically what happened was they were, you know, they misplaced the block. So the block didn't go all the way through his head. And he became a ghost, um, uh, on the day he died of October 31st, 1492, because he was still clinging on for feeling bad because he couldn't get her teeth straight. <laughs> so almost like it did So I thought that was interesting, but here's the speech. And it's kind of in a poem style, um... But it says, it was only, so, oh, sorry, this was my information here. It was only in the original draft, like I said, but he said, it was a mistake any wizard could make, who was tired and caught on the hop. One piffly error, and then there was my terror. Found myself fancying the worst of the chop. Alas, for I, when I met a lady grieve, strolling in the park at dusk, She was at my belief I could straighten that teeth. Next moment, she spouted a tusk. I cried, though that night that I'd soon put her right, but the process of justice was not long last. They brought out the block, though they misland the rock where they usually sharpened their axe. Next morning, at dawn, with the face most forlorn, the priest said, try not to cry you can come just like that no you won't need a hat and i knew that my end would be nigh the man in the mask who would have that task of cleaving my head from my neck said nick if you please will you get to your knees and i turned to the quivering wreck this may string a bit said the said the cack handed twit as he swung that axe up in the air but oh, the blunt blade, no difference it made. My head was still definitely there. The axeman he hacked and continued to hack. Thack, thack, thack. Oh, it won't be long, Sir, head, Sir Nicholas. It won't be long, Sir Nicholas, he assured me. But quick it was not, and the tune headed clock took 45 times until he floored me. And so I was dead, but still had an inch of my head faithful head, it never saw fit to desert me it still lingers on that's the end of my song and now please applaud or you'll hurt me and that's what he was trying to say (laughs) but like the headless hunt could get in the way so it's not really that important but it's something you'll never it's interesting yeah that's an interesting fact that's a section (laughs) um just a couple more things um these are about lock art that are just really quick um So, the Bandon Banshee, uh, what that is, they don't know, it was actually originally reported female, uh, in his book he kept calling it male, so they don't really know if he's talking about something else, or if it was originally based off the female Banshee that was killed that was like a witch, that all they know about it was it was an ancient wizard that killed it with a hairy chin, but apparently he took that from there, um... From there, the Bloody Baron, that was actually at the Headless Nick party. I spoke about that uh, a little bit earlier in one of the older episodes, but he was a member of Slytherin House. He actually fell in love with Rowena Ravenclaw, and they were lovers. But the way he became the Bloody Baron was what happened was when Helena Ravenclaw stole the diadem, which we'll talk about later, Um, Rowena died of heartbreak because she was just so broken up over it so the Bloody Baron went after her um, and actually got so enraged because she wouldn't go back with him and try to win her mom back before she died Uh, he actually stabbed and killed her and then he felt so bad because it was basically like his daughter he killed himself with the same knife and that's why they called him the Bloody Baron which is wild um couple more things here for interesting facts before we go. Uh, One thing that is really cool about just the books in general, if you look on each cover, they're all dedicated to a different person. So if you look on Sorcerer's Stone, um, Joanna Rowling, I've always been a big Joanna Rowling fan, uh, she actually dedicates that one. She says, to my husband and kids who make my life so magical. Um, The second one, Chamber of Secrets, if you look on the inside, it's actually dedicated to her taxi driver, um, which was pretty cool. And Miss Norris, which we were talking about. So people have always thought like there was a backstory in Miss Norris because that's not a normal name for a cat. Um, it actually is based off a person she met in Mansfield Park. That's a worker, <laughs> just a random worker. So there's really no backstory on it. But it was like, um, really like, I guess just really good customer service. So it was kind of like a hey, this is, like, I think you you. You're going to be in a book forever, and this is based on you. So that was really cool. Um, When uh, Professor, uh, what's his name? What's his, uh, the ghost professor. Benz, um, Professor Benz. Benz, right? So when he was talking about the history of magic, when they were talking about the European history of magic, um, basically the history of magic, what that is, is so there was the medieval assembly of European wizards, It was a European wizard organization that was, like, one of the first ones to start in Europe. But they were just a small committee, and the first convention was actually in 1289, which was the International Warlock Convention. And the only thing known about it is the European wizards were part of it, and also the Sardinian sorcerers that were created in September of that year. So that's how the history of magic really started. Professor Benz, like I said, we go into a little bit on him, not much. Um, he just He's the only professor, actually, the reason he is a ghost, um, he was so dedicated to history and loved his students so much, he fell asleep during a fire at his desk, died, it burned up, but he was so clinging on to his students, he returned to class the next day uh, and taught in another building and still is there for his class just as a ghost. Um, pont, most potent potions that you were saying, Um, it's written by Phineas Bourne, but the book not only known for Polyjuice Potion, but it's known for some of the most laxative potions, so if you need to relieve a little bit, you can visit that. Of course, it's known for slow-acting Venoms as well. Uh, the Wagga Wagga Werewolf is, uh, believed to be killed by Gildery Lockort that, um, he claims, uh, that was in the, uh, uh, in one of the books Hermione was reading, but basically what it was, was he used a memory, it's on Wanderings with Werewolves, and he used a memory charm on uh, the person that actually did it, and what happened was he killed a werewolf and turned it back human. The bicorn you mentioned about in the use Potion, what that is, the dangerous cow, um, it's a magical cow that possesses horns uh, and sheds annulously. Uh, the bloom slang is a green-brown snake that's just used in the last couple things. uh, So the sorting hat that we talked about, I thought this was really cool. Um, The only person that has actually never been sorted into a house that didn't qualify was um, during the sorting ceremony in 1858. Angus Buchanan uh, actually ran up to him out of order. And he went and classify him into a house. He said he was no good wizard and was a dirty cheap. And he actually wound up um, taking offense to Hogwarts to that and joined the Ministry and had a big uh, feud with Doubledore, Which they say he's part of the Calamity issue, which is based off the game where the Myriad set went missing. And that was, um, yeah, that's it for my interesting facts. So, not really important things but uh, just something you might find cool
0: here and there. One thing I want to mention on that is you said something about Professor Binns dying in a fire, but here in the book it says something different. Like on page 148, it says, like, History of Magic was the dullest subject on their schedule, and Professor Binns, who taught it, was their only ghost teacher, and the most exciting thing that ever happened in his class was his entrance to the blackboard. Ancient and shriveled, many people said he hadn't noticed that he was dead. He had simply got up to teach one day... And left his body behind him in an armchair in front of the staff room fire, and that his routine has not changed in the slightest ever since.
1: Yeah, but that was there after was no fire staff room fire though it's, uh, So like to read it for you quote, what would you say? So to read it for you, but what I was saying was, so the fire occurred, right? and then he just kept on teaching is what happened. But And he left his body after that. So, like, he had a body before the fire, but he just kept on teaching.
0: After yeah, yeah. The, the, the book here, what the, the book just said is that he was, like, taking a break in the staff room, and then he went to get up to go teach his class, and he just left his body behind. Like, his spirit just left his body. Like, okay, he, he, like, gotcha. He, like, that's what, that a yeah, that's yeah, what the book is. Yeah, that's what the book says. Because
1: sure I wrote yeah. that down, too. I just had, he was the only professor to teach as a ghost at Hogwarts, he fell asleep in front of a staff room fire one night, his body.
0: Yeah. So yeah, there wasn't a fire. Like there wasn't like a fire like that. Like it's almost like a, um, what do you call it? Like a, yeah, uh, okay. like a, um, like it just... I'm trying to think of the thing that you like sit in front of where fire comes out of, not like a campfire, but it's like in the house, a fireplace. It's like a fireplace. Like, like it was, he was okay, sitting, so he just left yeah. his body then. So it's yeah. not
1: saying that I thought it was trying to say the room was.
0: Empty. No, 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 no. He was sitting in front of like the, the fireplace in the staff room. And then he went to get up to go teach. And it was just like, he, he, he cause he was so old. He just died of natural causes and then just left his body okay. in spirit Got form it. and went to teach. So
1: that makes sense. So now you hear professor Vince. So now, you know, <laughs> I'm actually getting this quote unquote from the books and legit places. I just didn't understand what it was saying. So, but that, that, you can see how you can get that confused. Yeah. It almost sounded like a fire happened, which is how he died or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was sitting by the so staff So It was just fire fire. like, confusing by wording. A
1: fire, and then he just gets up and leaves his body. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Explain how that makes sense at all.
0: He was so dedicated to his job, he couldn't have time to die. He just, he said, oh, time for my next class. Okay. And then he there just. <laughs>
1: Um, other than that, though, I did look it up. There's no other history about him. All that it is is just that one quote from the book. Like, no one knows anything else about him besides that entire history. So, That's there you awesome. go, man. That's uh interesting facts for today. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and that you know, really took us through to to the end of everything that we've got going on uh, for this episode. So, today we've tackled those big five key outlines all the way from the start of the book up to the end of the rogue bludger next week we'll go ahead and finish up from the beginning of i believe it's the dueling club after rogue bludger all the way through the end of the book where we'll tackle those five points of the outline and then uh the week after that we will finish up chamber of secrets just detailing uh the differences between the book and the movie so yeah i'm really excited for all of that man but uh i think this is a great place to leave off today guys thanks you know so much for the support that we've had everyone's been super excited by harry potter we've been hearing about it not just virtually like you know through the means of social media and leaving reviews and comments but actually in person to person we've actually had a couple people uh you know say they, they listen to it and they like it that we actually know in real life and not just strangers through a screen so i thought that was pretty <laughs> cool um you know is this something that we we do this because we love to do it you know we say it all the time it, people really don't understand the amount of energy and effort that this takes you know i know chase was even telling me as much as last night he stayed up through the entire night making sure he had everything correct and set and to that's make just, sure
1: i told you <coughs> professor Dan's the wrong way
0: <laughs> right <So it's> <laughs> but no, that's
1: why we have jay nelly on the side <laughs> guys the fact we check i to get everything pretty much right but that one was, I got to admit, that was confusing.
0: <laughs> yeah, because it did say in front That's of the Saffron fire. So I definitely see you could, uh, you know, you could read that in a couple different ways. But uh, yeah, man, I think that will close us out for today, guys. Like we always say, this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing off. Signing off. On.